Before we break into the show, I want to thank the three sponsors of this show. CoinKite is the first. Go to CoinKite.com to check out all their awesome gear. They are the makers of the cold card hardware wallet, the gold standard in Bitcoin hardware wallet custody solutions. They've got a lot of other fun stuff at the store for interacting with Bitcoin more securely. Next up is Bull Bitcoin. If you're buying Bitcoin in Canada, go to bullbitcoin.com. They're a non-custodial exchange. As soon as you buy it, it goes right to your custody. It's the best way to buy Bitcoin. And if you're looking for a bit of support on how to set up that self-custody, go to bitcoinsupport.com, run by the same guys. They'll hold your hand to make sure you're getting everything set up properly. And finally, the Bitcoin 2022 conference on Miami Beach, April 6th to the 9th. It's a celebration of Bitcoin and Bitcoin culture, the biggest ever, expecting 30,000 plus people. It's going to be wild. Jordan Peterson was just announced as a headline speaker. So many other great aspects of the event, the Sound Money Festival happening at the end of it all. It's just going to be an awesome time. Ticket prices go up on March 18th, so get your tickets soon and use the code RAPIDFIRE to get 10% off. Let's do it uh i don't know just attracted m more of us uh, the similar thought and i feel like that's what we're doing is like we're putting out this signal that like pings other people and they go oh like i'm supposed to put out my signal too and then when they put out their signal it has their own unique wavelength about it that like has their own understanding and it's mm -hmm. uh it's really profound because i think like this is part of that that process of, of us trying to uncover truth uh, and then there's a second component of like our own love for what it is and what we're trying to do and how that inflects on the other. And I've been thinking about this in a, uh, like before Foucault died, he was working on this idea of, uh, an ethics of self care. And I, and, and I think like the only way that you can ever actually have an ethics of self care is if you can have a form of, of, wealth as we understand in our society that that is sovereign to the individual and so it's almost like the the first place that we have to depart from in being able to create a form of self-care is being able to care about you know how, how we take care of our wealth in the world and i and i want to use that word wealth in its larger context of you know what what does the wealth of culture mean what is the wealth of uh, you know, having love mean, what does the wealth of community mean? And I think like these are these really larger concepts that funny enough also have a very interesting um, etymological and philological overlap with uh, terminologies of war, which is something I've always been really fascinated by. Yeah, this brings up a, something I've been thinking about a lot lately and kind of relates back to our discussion about trying to define progress. And I, I feel like trying to, de to define wealth is another one, you know, so I'm interested in, in one, knowing more about how Foucault would have defined self-care. And, you know, I'm definitely interested in that, the relationship between uh, the necessity for owning one's wealth as a integral uh, like component of that. But what, I mean, what is wealth and where does it come from, I guess, is maybe a question I'd love to hear you expand on. Yeah, it's, uh, unfortunately I haven't read the, the, some of Foucault's latter work. So a lot of it will just be my own kind of subjective musings, but on that idea of like, what is wealth? I think of, uh, there's a great quote, uh, from Hobbes's Leviathan. That's this idea of that, like without the sovereign, like 
there's no culture, there's no art, there's no society, there's no language, like there, there's nothing, like there's no potential for anything to develop because like we're always in this constant state of war and hunger and misery that just is what the struggle of nature is. Uh, and, and I think I, I would agree with Hobbes on that point of that, that wealth is this cohesiveness that creates uh, like a lower, a lower common threshold of safety and security that then allows for us as people to develop our society in larger ways with these, uh, you know, essentially being able to develop everything because we have this core sense of security of, hey, like I can engage in exchange with John, he's not just gonna murder me or because I have enough food on the table, I can think about the aesthetics of art. Um, and it's really important because like I, so much of my own theory of, of sovereignties, it does marry up immediately with uh, Hobbes's, you know, original idea of what sovereign theory operates as. The, the big thing is, is that that turn at the very bottom, where instead of, of uh, authority, not truth representing legitimacy, it's truth, not authority representing legitimacy. And so that final turn at the very bottom, I think, is part of essentially the, the critique that Bitcoin is to fiatism. You know, because as you and I both know, and as I think Bitcoiners have well established, fiat seems to be the mode by which wealth was destroyed and that we got this entirely different messed up society that went off the rails. And so I think true wealth is this idea of the sovereign form actually maintaining that base agreement between everybody else. And today through fiatism, we don't have that. I would actually call it uh, the force of law, but the term law stricken out. And that's a, a term by Ambigan that he uses for about kind of the rogue sovereign apparatus of being able to kind of do as it pleases as opposed to being accountable to law. So it seems to me in that way of looking at it that, I mean, it seems at least partially incomplete because if I'm hearing you right, it, it may, you're saying that wealth is like the foundation that permits value to emerge or, or wealth requires a foundation for value to emerge. Right. For the, the, those kind of like consensual egalitarian relationships to to exist. And of course, culture acting as that foundation as it becomes more complex or, or sophisticated. Well, maybe not, of course, but it seems to me that as culture becomes more complex and sophisticated, more value and wealth is, is permitted or is integral to that actual process of unfolding. And so. To me, it begs the question, like, well, again, like, what is wealth? And one of the perhaps definitions or a part of a working definition that I've been thinking about is like, is wealth just the ability to access things of meaning? So, for example, like a, a rudimentary form of wealth might simply be, you know, a weak supply of beef jerky for the caveman. Right. He's he's relatively rich guy. He's got a, a meat worth a week's worth of meat, whereas maybe other people only have like, you know, day to day uh, requirements or something. And so that that access to sustenance is very meaningful. But then when, when things beyond just uh, those things that we require to sustain ourselves end up, we, we end up imbuing value in them. 
So like you might say things of sentimental value or things of ornamental value. Like, so if we're using the, the caveman example, let's say some kind of a necklace or something. And you know, the, the example that I'd, I'd been using in my head was my grandfather's uh, pipe, which I got, you know, from his estate after he, he died. And like, you know, it's such a, it's so cool. It's so worn down from him just having held so much, you know, and it, you can see his bite marks and the thing and it's like a naval pipe, right? So it's got like cool inscriptions on it and stuff, you know, and I think like, would I give this to someone if they offered me a hundred bucks? No, a thousand bucks? No, 10,000 bucks? Probably not. A million bucks? Yeah, a hundred percent, you know? So that's where, where is the wealth and the value there and where does it come from? Right. And so at least in that narrow sort of example, it seems to me that I'm generating wealth through my application or imbuing of meaning onto the object. And, you, you know, I mean, you could you could make a, a similar case for financial markets, right? It's like Facebook lost two hundred billion dollars in value yesterday. Well, where did the value go? Nowhere. Right. It's just that buyers and sellers were bidding up a price to whatever it was before yesterday. And then their subjective valuations meant that today they're only valuing it here. It's not like $200 billion of cash was burned. It's not like $200 billion of anything was destroyed. It's just the value that people are ascribing to things based off of, I think, somewhere down the line, the meaning that they derive from them was for whatever reason diminished and so um well look at look at how we made that little pivot right there we we went from talking about wealth to value and i think that this is one of the keys actually is that that uh we've been given terminologies and this is like 1984 shit of that like words and language itself has gotten so confounded that like they've hypostaticized into each other so that like we we don't actually know how to differentiate between the idea of value and wealth, which is fair because we've always been taught that these are sort of interchangeable ideas. But what I was going to point out to kind of parse it out more is we got our caveman in the cave with his 100 pounds of meat. Uh, but this guy doesn't know how to use fire. Like, is that does that meat even have value to him if he doesn't have fire? You know, and, and what does it mean if we have another guy that's in a cave and he has nothing? but we give him the information on how he can go find a whole bunch of meat or something. And I think part of this points to that. Uh, I don't think it's possible to actually have a conceptualization of wealth without it being predicated on some form of knowledge first and foremost. And I mm -hmm. think that like these things have to sort of intermingle. And I think uh, the way that you're using the, the terminology value about the, the loss of Facebook stock, I think this is one of those things that it's almost like a uh, it's like a societal dream that because something can achieve value at this one point in time that we interpret it as being wealth when maybe it's not. Maybe it's almost like uh, like the fiat conceptualization of wealth can only manifest as a temporary value, whereas uh, maybe wealth is something that's more permanent and enduring and long lasting thing, which I almost feel like through fiat, it, it's, uh, it gets so murky and obfuciated to try to, to discover these things that, um, you know, like this is a part of a, a large part of a lot of the, uh, 
disharmonies, abnormalities, and uh, distortions that we've seen in markets because it's not really about wealth as it is about this sort of fiat valuation. Yeah, I mean, no argument, no argument there. But I guess the way I'm seeing it is that the thing, perhaps the things that we call valuable or value through our actions are a result of our ascribing meaning to them or are a result of the impact of their motivational significance in our internal makeup, our hierarchies, our responses, that kind of stuff. And so I'm kind of seeing wealth as being access to things of value and those things of value being seen as such because of the meaning they represent for emotional regulation, but also potentially just for practical application, right? So it, it could be, you know, multiple domains of meaning. Um, and, you know, if, if that is the case, then I do think it begs the question like, well, what is the influence of the things of greatest meaning or the sources of greatest meaning upon one's perception of wealth? You know, and this is kind of, you know, I left it out of the piece I wrote recently, but I had like a little section in there. I'm not sure if we discussed it yet already or not, but it was looking at the, <clears throat> if we agree that culturally speaking and economically speaking, the more complex and specialized a market is, the more able it is to compete against its adversaries, let's say, or its competitors, because it can innovate more and it can, uh, you know, produce more efficiently and all that kind of stuff, <clears throat> then it would seem that a relatively both sophisticated system of value, as well as a properly articulated source of meaning are married together to foster such a complex uh, system of value transfer, expression, specialization, production, etc., and so, you know, in, in my way of thinking, this is why so many cultures throughout history, the, you know, the primary enterprise for them, whether we're talking about the Egyptians or the Indians or the Romans or the Greeks or whomever, like at the core was their spiritual, quote unquote, um, pursuits. Because, and along this way of thinking, that would be because determining investigating, articulating, developing a more sophisticated understanding of the source of meaning is what allowed for a greater expression of and complexity of value to emerge at which fosters all of the things that allow a culture to be competitive vis-a-vis -vis another in terms of how that value gets expressed, transferred, refined, produced, uh, amplified, et cetera, et cetera. I'm trying to see if so, that was me that cut out. You know, in that way. You back? Yeah. Was that me that dropped? I think so. When when did I lose you? Uh let's see. What was Probably I saying? About fifteen seconds ago. You were you were talking about um <clears throat> about these structures of value and meaning and how uh, 
going back to the spiritual core idea of how Egyptians, Romans, everybody else were pursuing these things as, as sort of their pursuit towards what wealth yeah. is as opposed to our material bullshit. Yeah. Well, it's not even just that, but it's that the reason why those pursuits were at the core was because either of a conscious or most likely subconscious recognition that delving into the source of meaning and understanding it more and developing a more sophisticated understanding of it and and explicating it or expressing it or amplifying it more was the very way to imbue the culture and the market around uh, that it that it was it was constituted by with more value and so if there's more value in that market or culture then there's more uh opportunity to convey and generate meaning and there's more ability to generate wealth in all of its forms if again if we accept that wealth is you know by ultimately directly related to meaning and these you know and as a result those cultures which had a, a more the most sophisticated understanding of the sources of greatest meaning i.e the spiritual or religious pursuits were as a result the ones that emerged as dominant and most competitive and perhaps why in the world today and particularly the you know the pre-modern or the ancient world all the major cultures uh or and empires around the world you know were tightly wound up with and predicated on systems of spiritual or religious uh thought so yeah i mean it is we can it, we can discuss that aspect but also just coming back to the point that is wealth access to meaning right and you you've heard people say before like you know he's the rich i feel like the richest man in the world and maybe you're like a pauper on the street but if somehow you're connected to a source of meaning you're filled up with a sense of fullness or wealth or whatever it is that makes you feel complete or integrated in that way and then of course we've heard you know the billionaire who is suicidal you know and is is depressed and stuff like that and so of course there needs to be a distinction between types of wealth right there's the purely financial wealth like we were talking about in the realm of something like facebook although even that it's not purely financial it has a financial expression but the internal system that's generating the ascription of value to that is probably deserving of a little bit of an analysis but mm-hmm. y- you know what i mean here so yeah well and it's I think a tough is, thing to uh, nail down you use this term uh meaning and so i think like i think we all, we have to go back to this thing like our are we talking about material or spiritual sense and do they have a relationship to each other? And I think one of the problems of modernity is because we have this nihilistic viewpoint that society has that they, they relegate the meaning of things in a, in a non-sensual, non-physical way to, to be worthless. You know, like that's part of the viewpoint and that's also part of the production of modernity and why we got all this crazy fucked up nonsense that comes from fiatism because it is, inherently divorced from the real meaning that you know derives that there are things of of, you know spiritual goodness of of non-sensual nature that have value and i think that's one of the things that we're tapping on uh you know like in this really interesting backwards way you know and that uh you know that bitcoin is all of these contradictions kind of wrapped up in itself because 
while on its face, it's immediately and totally about the idea of, you know, money and just pure wealth. And that, uh, you know, as we all kind of come into it, I think it's because we keep picking at it and trying to uncover, you know, like what's the deeper meaning. I think as we uncover that deeper meaning coming up against, you know, the pure total limits that Bitcoin has, uh, I think that starts to, to, to generate other questions in us. And I, and again, like, I think this is the ontological, the ontological piece and the trickiest part of Bitcoin is the way that it kind of hooks into your mind. And now like you're, you're like one of us Bitcoin people trying to like figure this crazy stuff out and trying to figure out if you're insane or if the world's insane. Yeah. Yeah. We're definitely the sane ones though. All, you know, all that being said, um, well, but let's... if we are insane, wouldn't you rather have this sort of insanity and delve into that than this other world? And yeah, again, to me, like this is one of those sort of infinite concepts of that, like the the good vibes and feelings here, uh, like are much more meaningful than just the monetary wealth. It's much more about the accomplishment and glory and desire towards being able to pursue that and create that together. And I'd mm -hmm. also point out that, you know, like if we take out, uh, take up the sum total amount of, of financial instruments and whatever their valuation is, you and I know without a shadow of a doubt that Bitcoin can not only capture that amount of value, but it can put 10 times the amount of value into it and can accommodate for all of these absolutely world changing developments that can, you know, make the whole of humanity better. And it's doing that with its strict limitations and all of the functions it has today because of the way that that we have to interact with bitcoin ontologically and that it gets its hooks into us that we have to start kind of contemplating well okay is this value that we're told that facebook has like is this a real value or is it a fiat value like is this something that actually is a positive aspect to humanity that's going to like expand and further the glory of humanity as a whole or is this something else and i think much of what fiat has given us uh is part of these uh I don't know. It's almost like living in Sam Altman and Mark Andreessen's head and like letting their version of reality take over part of ours and have it impose itself onto us. And I think that's part of the problem is that like so much of fiatism is imposed upon us from these really insane perspectives like. Uh, I, I'd like to, to think about. uh I'm trying to think of who's who's the dude who's in, in charge of BIS. That's like, you know, his BMI index. Augustine like Carstens. Oh, yeah. The big jumbo so like, guy. Yeah. You know, and, and not to to put him down for his weight. But look, like this isn't this isn't a guy that I could follow up <laughs> two flights of stairs, nonetheless, into a field of battle. And like, what does it mean <laughs> that he's in charge of the bank of central banks, you know, and like. But there's mm -hmm. this concept across the board. Same thing with Joe Biden. Like, you know, I wouldn't follow him into a restroom. And like, what does it mean that our leaders aren't actually leaders anymore? And I think that this is a big part of what mm -hmm. fiatism is, is to try to convince you that like there's this idea of value that you don't understand. But I think it's part of this whole nihilistic thing of that, like, it's not that you don't understand it. It's that it doesn't actually have value. And that people are pedantic about telling you it does have value and it achieves value because of that sort of doubt or uncertainty that we have as people, because we don't have these other things to attach ourselves to.
Yeah. First of all, sure. Don't want to, you know, shit on him for his weight or anything like that, but he's such a perfect emblem of fiat. I mean, it's so perfect that he's the head of the central bank of central banks and he's just a ginormous fatso. I mean, it's, it's poetic almost, you know? Well, I just love um, that he like looks like but, Kitty Pin or the Penguin or like, like he looks like Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, what was I going to say here? I think, so coming back to this idea of, because I, I, I agree and I think what's interesting to what you're saying is it's clear there's two types of wealth. There's the strictly subjective and let's put sub, uh, the sentimental type that I was uh, articulating there, right? So like my grandfather's cigar, most likely only to be valued at $100,000 plus by me, right? And then there's the intersubjective or price-derived objective value of things that enter the market and are subject to comparison and pricing and that kind of stuff and relative valuation, And the reason, I mean, both are important and maybe both do still fundamentally come from the same place. But the the reason why the latter is is so important is because it helps us further investigate, determine, refine and identify value. You know, and again, like I think it all tracks back to the source of the ultimate source of value meaning, which I think like, you know, the death of God is, is more than just a socio political problem it's also an economic one in that sense in that if like Mm -hmm. all value ultimately emerges from a place like that then if you cut off the connection with the source of meaning you know let's call it god but not any particular uh god then i think ultimately that manifests in you know things that seem to be only in the economic domain because they aren't actually disconnected as you know, a a strict uh, reductionist, materialist, modern atheist person might want to believe because there's there's still to do with value and meaning, even if that is playing out in a in a realm of of intersubjective prices and ratios of value and stuff like that. And so the reason why the fiat realm is problematic is obviously because it it further distorts that process. It injects so much noise and, and distorted information into the process of trying to either distill value back to its source or build upon value to ever greater, you know, cathedrals of wealth, let's say, to, to manifestations or celebrations of different aspects of the ultimate source of value, something like that, you know, and... Um, Yeah, you go for a sec. I'm I'm gathering my thoughts. Okay. Yeah. Well, so I I think that uh, <laughs> or... trying trying to gather and integrate these two into into one thing, I actually think is the ultimate economic prospect that then like does produce true value. And I also think like that's the origin of Schumpterian creative destruction as well, because like it's about this advancement of an industry and changing and transforming it so that it does create true human progress. Um, 
And I think like this is ultimately kind of the huge battle that like we're in now, but also like I do think becomes astrological at the end because like I think it's pretty clear for you and I that like, you know, Bitcoin's about fixing the money, but it's about so much more. It's about uh, like writing society so that like we can get this globalized society that can work together, but can still keep the classic Western liberal democratic ideas of free and open markets available uh, versus, you know, like I would say that the deep side of fiatism is uh, it has this sort of foundation on sand that like it's convinced itself that like statism is the way to do these things, that there needs to be this sort of authoritarian decrees. And I think it's really funny because uh those strictly reductionist people, when you talk to the, you know, about the material reductionists, uh, there's always these sort of latent threads of uh, ethical thought that like are actually existent and that does refute the pure materialistic viewpoint, but it almost never gets integrated because like, I always find it interesting of that, like, if it is pure materialism and there's, you know, it is all nihilism, like, why don't we just start like killing people in secret and like taking all their shit? Cause there's like no values or anything. And I think most people would kind of retract from that. And so I, I just think it's important to realize that like, as much as we've convinced ourselves of the dialogue of materialism, uh, it, it clearly loses a lot of its punch when we dig a few questions deep. So. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, but yeah, you know, kind of still sticking around here and trying to dig into it further. I guess the point is that there's these two realms of what like subjective and intersubjective, uh, comparative value and fiat really distorts the latter. Right. And so I think part of the reason why we're also jazzed about Bitcoin is because it creates a far more high fidelity bridge perhaps between the two domains of value and there's far less distortion. And then our, the process of comparing value, i.e. expressing value in, in things like markets as a result, therefore returns to something or perhaps becomes something that it's to this point, never become uh, in a degree to which has never become in terms of being a tool to properly refine and discover true value, true value. And like, of course, this begs the question, and this is a question we've been exploring, well, what is true value? What is the source of utmost value? What is the source of utmost meaning? And this is again, how we like connect right back to those religious or spiritual pursuits, because those seem to be the, the most potent generative source of those very things. And so once we have a money that is not controlled by anyone in particular, that nobody has a unfair advantage over, that nobody can inject extraneous uh, or distortive information into, then it is able to become a far more um, useful tool at actually being an expression of what is ultimately the source of meaning. So then we ha we'll still have that subjective uh, you know, exploration or access to our own personal meaning, but also the, the intersubjective 
then becomes far more grounded in well, the intersubjective becomes a landscape where we can not only individually, but collectively explore and determine the same source of meaning. And we get to like, see what is, what is truth? What are, what are the most profound truths? What are the most valuable principles? What is wealth? What is meaning carried out on a mass scale beyond the borders of our own you know, mind and beyond ourselves? And I think that is what culture inevitably becomes. And so we look at cultures and say, wow, how rich and like the art and the architecture and all this stuff was so amazing. And I think that's because by, you know, these means that we've been exploring and perhaps more, they were more grounded in. And as a result, their culture was more of an expression of the sources of, of greatest meaning. Again, call it God, call it beauty, call it truth, call it love, whatever. And the ones that are not, and you know, people are obviously highly critical of modern culture, are ones that are less tethered, are, are less being generated out of that fundamental source, let's say, and are being you know, generated out of uh, other places, be it power, be it control, be it uh, egotism, ideology, what have you. Um, and, you know, the, an interesting corollary here is why is it that Bitcoin, the, if we, we keep hanging around this idea of wealth, why is it that Bitcoiners feel richer than like a fiat billionaire? You know, a lot of it's not uncommon to hear people say that, right? It's like and I, I think part of the reason why that is, is because Bitcoin allows them to more ably live in accord with these principles that are actually closer to the source of value and meaning. And so by that, I mean, you can have a fiat billionaire, you know, the head of Pfizer or whatever, and he is, you know, has to toe the line. He, there's a lot of stuff he can't say, can't do. And sure, you know, his bank account swells by hundred million fiat dollars every year, but he's very limited in what he can do. Whereas because of what Bitcoin is, because of the principles that it represents and because of the because those principles then are gifted to people that engage in it, people that end up having Bitcoin feel a, a far greater sense of freedom. And I think that's one of the fundamental principles that is somewhere around the source of meaning. They, far, they, feel, a, a far, they feel a greater access to allegiance to um, obligation to truth. And I think that is one of those principles that it lies at the core of meaning and therefore value and wealth. And so this thing is allowing these people to integrate, you know, to integrate and embody in many cases those principles and values that seem to be far closer to the meaning spigot, if we can borrow a word that, you know, has become popular in the space, right? Rather than the fiat spigot, the spigot of meaning, you know? the God spigot, whatever, however you want to characterize it, this thing seems to be allowing those people to align more with, get closer to that. And as a result, they end up feeling wealthier, freer, truer, contenter, more filled with joy, like all that kind of stuff, even though their quote unquote market, their ability to, uh, the op their market optionality, you know, how much financial wealth they have, is like a hundred times less than 
the fiat billionaire or a thousand times less or whatever. And so well, maybe that's an example now. of, well, sure, sure. Yeah. And I, you know, yeah, that's definitely a consideration, but do you, do you see what I'm trying to get at? Yeah. And I think, uh, I think you touched on it at the beginning where you started talking about, uh, that Bitcoin gives us this ability to have a higher fidelity intersubjective relationship because on a fiat standard, like we have this pretty shitty map and we have this pretty shitty mechanism for like keeping time. And stuff. and so like, I can be like, okay, John, like let's meet, um, uh, on Sunday in Berlin at the main train station. Like, okay, cool. You get there Sunday. Uh, like I didn't specify like, like what time zone. So like you just assume it's Berlin time, but maybe I'm talking about my time zone. In addition to like, I didn't say where at the train station. So you're like wandering around all over the place and you didn't have a better map. So like that was just the best we could do. But now with Bitcoin, we have this extremely high fidelity map. So I can say like, John, meet me at the atom over here, like in this part of the universe, you know, and, and like you could actually locate and do that. And so having this higher fidelity allows for us to operate in a much deeper sense in meeting towards what we're conversing about and trying to do. And I would also point out that uh, fiat has all of this prattle about it that's designed to obfuciate and confuse and contort and confound. Like it's not all of the financial products that we have like aren't to make things clearer and more fluid for people to understand. Like they're, they're inherently based on these sort of guileful production processes of almost confusing and confounding more as opposed to unveiling and sort of clearing away more. And I think it's so interesting that there are these almost opposite inflections and tensions that occur between them. And I think that that's based in the inherent process of Bitcoin's almost working towards this pursuit of trying to move away from doubt, of trying to find certainty, whereas fiatism is almost about creating more doubt, about trying to make that certainty an impossibility. So much so that we could just say there, there is nothing to be certain of. There's no God. There's no meaning, you know. And I think that that's really interesting because I think that also zooms, it like circles back around to this idea of faith. Uh, and that it's really important because it, with this idea of faith and what Bitcoin is, uh, I think it'll be really interesting to reflect on these conversations, you know, 50 years down the line. Because we'll be like, well, what? why weren't we just out there with our flags, you know, declaring it like fiat is done, like we're destroying it today and we're like taking it. Like, why didn't we have that esteem or confidence? You know, we can say that 50 years out from now. And I think part of it is is that we have been lost in this world for so long. We've been so confused. We've been so spiritually uh, impoverished that rebuilding this and kind of generating the dialogue of the truth, the, the, the profoundness of what we've discovered and what we're trying to share. You know, like I, I think this is something that it has, it's going to take years, if not decades of building and contemplating, and considering and working and sharing and discovering with others in order to get to the place where we have, you know, the, the complete and total faith and understanding of what and how we're going to build this and the ability to counter that, um, you know, and, and more and more, like, I think that this is actually going to be like an intergenerational process that actually creates all of its results through the culture that Bitcoiners are building and the culture that will pass on to our children and the way that we're going to inflect 
ourselves against fiat culture. Cause like I can, uh, I don't know about you, but like, I feel all of this building in really profound senses that, um, it feels markedly different from like, you know, the Iraq war protests and, you know, uh, Occupy Wall Street and all this other stuff, because behind it, there's this latent tool that they can't stop. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, and we've talked about this in other capacities before, you know, how what this what's actually going on here. But, you know, as you're speaking, if we if we kind of keep pulling on the string or following the line of thought where Bitcoin allows you to get closer to the principles that are actually, uh, you know, representations of the source of, of value and meaning, you know, and we've been talking about this a lot, but things like truth, love, freedom, like I think these lie at the foundation of most religious traditions, most spiritual practices and pursuits, and here they are represented in Bitcoin. And I think they're having a very similar effect as those things. And so there's a, one, there's a phenomenon whereby people are being transformed, those, those principles are being transmuted into people and therefore they're, they're expressing them in their lives. And that's very interesting to say the least, but also there's a, there's a natural pull, uh, by those principles through Bitcoin to people and, you know, to be kind of, uh, trite or whatever about it, like people want to stack as many sats as possible because they want more of that brought into their life because they recognize the value of it. And so, yes, a part of that is just the value of being able to use an instrument of value to better maneuver and navigate and move through the chaos of life, let's say to your desired ends. Sure. That's an aspect of it. But I do think there's something else going on. And in, in fiat land, the exact opposite is true, basically. Like people, if, if we want to use economic or financial terms, people never want to settle, right? So you, you this, this, as you were saying, like this big, complex thing of obfuscation, of financial, hyper-financialization and, and financial products just keep getting engineered and, and made more complex and more complex so that this this bubble can continue to not have to settle back down into reality so that the, the conceit can continue going and things are just passed around and recycled rather than being brought back and grounded in, and settled in a truth. Right. So it's, it's the exact opposite of something like Bitcoin. People want to settle into the truth. They want to ground themselves in that truth where in fiat land, they want to, they want to uh, expand the facade. It's a completely it's the they're antithetical to one another. And as you say, the re, like, I think the reason why a lot of this is seemingly coming to a head is because there's no greater tension between those two things. I mean, things that are antithetical, right. And things that are so that have so much influence and impact over our lives when both of those forces are basically pulling on each other, well, something's got to give, right. And if, if those forces are the things that determine what happens socially and culturally and politically and economically and financially and pretty much everything. Well, when that tension, like as that tension grows and the two try to pull away from each other, basically, yeah, it's going to cause a bunch of changes on, on every conceivable domain. And this is kind of the, you know, and we've used more dramatic or 
like religious language to characterize this process before. But in that sense, it, it can also be seen as, you know, very not not scientific, but the language is just far more practical from an economic and, and financial point of view. Yeah, and like the these tensions that seem to be antithetical to each other, like I, I think they are, and I think like they're the most antithetical things that can actually happen. And right, right. now at this point, like it, uh, like this is all still kind of this weird money political thing, but I think like at the deepest core of it, there is this truth that Bitcoin is of like, hey, we have this fixed supply, it can never change. This is how the system operates at a base through the protocol. And then you have fiat, which like it is this inherent and fundamental lie that has no capacity to try to attach itself to something of deeper meaning in the world unless it it, and like that's what fiat is like in its actual Latin terminology and how it functions like it is a legal decree that tries to actualize itself, whereas Bitcoin is the exact opposite. Mm. It is it is not it is a non-legal decree that actualizes manifestation its value. Of, the, of the truth yeah and like and, and even more interesting is that like uh and, and like it's all of these tensions in the the way that they they align in the opposite of one another that i find so so fascinating that to me is kind of indicative towards these much bigger things um and it, and it's really beautiful because i you know, like, I honestly don't see any other methodology of us trying to extricate ourselves from what's going on. And I think it's very interesting that the Corona pandemic is what has produced so much of this stuff. And like, I guarantee like one great example is uh, with some of the fundraising that's been done for the truckers with Bitcoin so far. Like, I guarantee that that has created this light bulb in many people of going, oh, shit. Like what? Like why can they stop Canadian dollars from going in, but they can't stop the Bitcoin? And then people are like, "Huh, mm. that's really interesting." And I think uh, you know, because we've all lived in the cave for so long, when somebody's like, "Yo, check it out," there's like light out there. While I think most people reject it, I do think there's some that are going to look out there and be like, "Huh, yeah, there is something else going on. Maybe I should look into that." And you know, like. I think the last point um, that I think is the most interesting of all of this is like, uh, I think there's a very strong limitation of what people want to do and participate in fiat world. You know, like it, it it's very much a, a monetary mechanism. There, there are strong limitations. I look over to that on the Bitcoin side and uh, I'm very intrigued in terms of like, I don't, I don't know what stops you or me or, uh, you know, Marty or anybody else participating in the space from actually, like, stopping and not being interested. And that's not to say that, like, there aren't pauses to, like, rest and rejuvenate, but uh, we all seem to be pursuing... Stopping, like, the... making content and stuff? Yeah, yeah. And, like, not participating, not pushing forward, not trying to make Bitcoin the reserve currency of the world. Um, so much so that, like... I don't want to say it's infinite, but like it feels like this is this is a purpose that many of us have committed ourselves to fully and totally. So much so that like, um, yeah, like the, there's this infinite pursuit 
and joy and glory and striving towards that feels, you know, again, like the opposite of fiat. And I think like these are these sort of generative internal ideas, feelings and concepts that uh, ultimately are what what makes us win, because like there isn't, you know, like we don't stop when Bitcoin gets to $10,000. We don't stop when nation states add Bitcoin, you know, like I think it just keeps going further and further and further. Um, and I, I don't really know what to say to that. Like, it's pretty wild. Um, but it also does seem to introduce these concepts of what it means to have a true faith and consideration of something that's beyond this place. Yeah. And I think it, it's possibly an example of the effect on, let's say the human psyche of the things of greatest value and meaning that they compel your behavior in that way. You know, and in, in most cases, probably in a manner that's poorly understood and mostly subconscious, but you know, obviously here we are discussing it uh, intentionally and consciously to some degree, but it's, I think it, you know, it, back to this idea of value and wealth and stuff like some people, I mean, the truckers are kind of a good example because they're kind of putting their foot down, they're sacrificing their job and they're standing on the border or they're, they're doing the thing. And they're, so they're sacrificing the accrual of monetary wealth via not working at their job and that kind of a thing for something else. They're deeming it worthwhile to act in a different way. And I, I think what they're expressing is the supremacy of the value that is freedom over the value that is monetary reward. Now, I mean, of course, like we'll see how this plays out, how, how far are they willing to take it? And again, like, I think the idea of the person who's willing to risk it all, whether it's a hero character, a braveheart character or a martyr character for, you know, the print for certain principles, that speaks to, again, the, the supremacy of the principle over even the most uh, intimate source of wealth that we all have act available to us and value, which is our lives, right? That's, it doesn't, doesn't get any, any uh, more personal key. or intimate or real than that. Yeah. And so they, these people are basically expressing that those values in certain cases can supersede even one's own existence. And again, I think, you know, we can infer from that, that that means that they really are close to the source of meaning that fills us up that like, I, I mean, i.e., if you don't have them, life is meaningless. Life is not worth living without those things. That's got to say something incredibly profound about those principles and how you value them and how they orient and construct how you you perceive value and assign value to think to everything from the economic realm to the um immaterial let's say and i i think this is part of the reason why we're seeing this reassessment by bitcoiners of the spiritual and religious uh, pursuits or enterprises or understandings because it's opening up kind of a a tunnel or a doorway to the questions around what what are the things principles ideas what have you 
of greatest value and how are they expressed and instantiated and embodied in the world. And I mean, again, like that idea of either being obfuscated or having the, you know, the lines of communication open, I think because of the fact that those values are imbued in Bitcoin and then they're bestowed on people who decide to avail of them, these ideas like, you know, again, freedom and truth, that it just makes them, it, it brings them far closer to that source of meaning. And it naturally causes them to ask like more questions about that source and the value of the things that most fundamentally characterize it perhaps. And so in that sense, it really is no surprise and we, sh we should probably expect it to accelerate that more people that grok Bitcoin end up just almost by default confronting these more deep questions about value and meaning by which they wind up in the domain or the enterprise of spiritual or religious pursuits. Now we could talk a lot about what to do when you realize that you're confronting those things and maybe we should, but again, I, I, it's, it's it, looking at it that way. It comes as no surprise, I guess. I just, like I just, uh, again, like this is the shit that I love, you know, you show up for number, go up and you're like, well, what is value? Like, what is meaning? Like, what, what if I'm valuable? Like, what if, what if my freedom means more than my, you know, I'm like, now you're like down in it and it's really fascinating. Uh, and I think that this is the, the, this is the same process that, uh, you know, these relationships between religion and Bitcoin, I find really interesting because also like, what does it mean when people have this realization that they are wrong and they like recant about their Bitcoin position, like, you know, safety did back in 2015 or whatever. Um, and it's really interesting that like, there's this component of like redemption that's like always available. That's like this really like just buy some Bitcoin, you know, like just, just like throw away your, your fiat wealth and you can like buy Bitcoin. You're like always welcome to join us. It's not there's not some time that like you're not going to be allowed to, to participate anymore. Um, yeah, it's just, it's really beautiful, you know? And I think it makes sense to me that like in the depths of globalized totalitarian communism that like manifested itself through broken capitalism, you know, like where, where like the United States government, the Chinese communist party almost look identical in a lot of their relationships, not to mention that they've like integrated with each other economically it like totally makes sense to me that money becomes the object by which we can only rediscover like how true value creates itself in the world you know because like money is a concept that's been around for eons long before any of us or the state or society and these are all core components that are part of human nature and so like it's it's just really beautiful that like on the precipice of you know, this global totalitarian panopticon that there's this beautiful answer. Um, and I don't know, like the, the pursuit of this versus like the pursuit of a political objective are distinctly different and feel different. Um, and like, I'm, it's true for me. I think it's true for you. Like we gain energy and happiness and joy participating in this and sharing and discussing 
Whereas, uh, like, political objectives are very different and much more weighty and don't have, um, like, a lot of what we're building here, it has an openness that, like, doesn't have kind of failings or, uh, I don't know, it, it's hard for me to tap on this concept, but it has something to do with this, like, spiritual aspect that's about for us and us alone and like how we move into the world and i think that this this individualism that is a core component of it seems to be a very very important aspect of it uh, of, of and i think that it can't be understated that it has this interesting relationship towards pseudo anonymity and anonymity as well yeah well i, I think at least partially the reason for that is that it resonates as more true, more of a reflection of those inarticulable, ineffable realms of deepest uh, realms of deepest value and meaning. You know, and Peterson has talked about this a lot in that, you know, all these different spheres of our life, you know, from the individual and their, you know, their, uh, how they construct their consciousness and then the family, and then the community, and then the nation, and the system of laws, and the system of faith, like they're all nestled within one another. And ideally, they're integrated properly, right? So the, the system of law in a country, ideally, or in a, in a state, let's, let's shelve like the anarchism versus state argument for a second, but the, it's supposed to be a direct manifestation, like an explicit manifestation of the quote unquote like godly laws right like the 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 insight and wisdom and the 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 truths that we derive from our spiritual pursuits like the divine sovereignty of the individual for example and like equality of all under god and like uh you know whatever whatever the rest of them are you know that the law is supposed to as closely as possible reflect that domain Right. And so in, in that way, they're all kind of like fractally connected. And that I think that's the ideal. That's how you connect the, the disparate domains of reality and existence, ideally together so that each reflects and fits into the other one as optimally as possible. And I think part of the reason you mentioned, like pe there's people respond to or are taken by, you know, the political pursuits far differently differently than they might be to like engaging in bitcoin i think part of the reason for that is that bitcoin seems to represent a a far more congruent reflection or resonance with that which is you know that which is true at another scale of existence or reality and so it, to me it seems like it's not surprising that it would conjure or that it would develop a gravity for that reason, because people are seeing a deeper, uh, more fundamental truth in it than they perceive exists in the political or, or domain of law as it exists today and perhaps as it's ever existed. And so for, mm -hmm. you know, and so that's why we're seeing such a more passion and interest and alignment and devotion to this thing that is, you know, to what's represent what Bitcoin represents rather than what's represented in the political sphere. Devotion. I, I 
I like that idea because uh, us finding this form of truth, this gem amongst all of this, particularly in our world of darkness, I think that that that's something we can commit ourselves to and devote ourselves to because we understand that it has a true value and wealth that's far beyond anything that we could consider, you know, like you and I consider Bitcoin and we look at it from the year, you know, from the 30th century in the way that that changes the entire concourse of humanity and how we see that that can only be done with this kind of money that can't be controlled or manipulated by a single powerful group. Uh, and I, and, you know, again, because we live in fiat and we're encountering truth, like I, like, I honestly think it's almost as simple as that, like, we have lived in a world that is completely full of guile and lies. So like, when we encounter this form of truth for the first time and realize that like truth is an actual thing of this world of substance that, that you can derive information from that can have value. Uh, it's a really radical idea, so much so that, like, I think it is world shattering and that it changes one's entire view of how you approach the world. And I think when that impacts us, uh, not only is it a profound process, but we we then have to pursue that meaning, you know, in, in terms of whether it's devotion to it or deeper engagement towards it, it, it's not something that I really think you can extricate from yourself, uh, you know, frankly, unless you are evil. And and when I say evil, not like you're like, ha ha ha, like I'm evil and I want money. But it's more of that this encounter with the truth threatens kind of the way that you move through the world. And so you turn away from it in the same way that, you know, the, the embarrassment of being caught in a lie or, uh, you know, the, any of this nasty stuff that as people, we don't want to engage with because of the fear that it brings up inside of us. So I want to go back to this idea of like devotion, but also subordinating yourself to the highest value. And like I said, we, we have it in its extreme, perhaps most extreme form in the idea of sacrifice. Cause you're saying the thing of greatest personal value, my body, my life, I'm going to sacrifice or submit, you know, so maybe it doesn't require your, your complete. Did you have something, did something you had an issue? Well, I, I, Cause you, no, no, no. I was just raising my finger because the, you saying my life, my body, and I would actually divide those two for the distinct reason of that. What you pointed to earlier with this idea of freedom being one of the highest values and us being willing to sacrifice our life for freedom. I think this starts to touch towards these, these points of truth that we're pursuing. And it also reminds me from, from Hobbes's in Leviathan, he talks about, uh, and this is sort of like his conclusion at the end where he talks about how like, uh, the convent of safety and security cannot be relinquished for any reason that like, the safety and security of the individual is the utmost and the paramount first agreement. And so as an individual, if you feel like your sovereign can't provide that safety and security for you to exist, you can choose to sacrifice your life because that's not a convent that you can actually relinquish in any meaningful way. Right. So, I guess the idea I was pursuing there is that um, 
so that happens and people make the determination given a circumstance like that or, or whatever it may be. And again, I want to separate the two, right? One is the ultimate sacrifice, right? So giving up your life in for a certain ideal, <clears throat> let's say it's, it's freedom. Let's use the Braveheart sort of character maybe. Um, and then uh, maybe a lesser version of that is not the ultimate sacrifice, but it's a subordinate, it's, it's the recognition of the value of certain things such that you subordinate yourself to them for some reason. You know, and I, I, I think the, the latter has a lot of representations in the religious domain. You know, and of course, there's, there's, I think we're awash in a world of misinterpretation and literal interpretations of a lot of these, uh, a lot of the wisdom that's encoded in, in these traditions. And that just makes the water very muddy and, and difficult to extract the wisdom from them. Right. So when it says like, you know, submit to God, I don't think people have a lot of, it's not easy to understand what that, what that means. But let's just say that one of the, this is tricky, but why is it that people make the determination when they truly make it to submit themselves to an ideal or a principle like freedom or like truth and have the, as a result of that their behaviors guided by or oriented by those principles even if it requires ultimately the ultimate sacrifice right what could be the rationale for that and i think my two you know two initial thoughts on it is one i think part of it is very pragmatic in that people make the determination that somehow by whatever order or force propagates or, or generates this reality that we experience, aligning with and subordinating oneself to certain principles leads to the best experience or outcomes within that reality. Now, best needs to be articulated and defined because, you know, you could say, well, that's not how you make the most money or that's not how you become the most popular or, or whatever. Uh, and I think like best is something. And the reason why I'm thinking about all this is because it tracks back to this initial question of what is wealth, because I think it somehow tracks back to what it imbues you with as a result of doing that. Uh, does it maximize the degree to which you're imbued with meaning and the source of meaning? God, let's say. And is that what makes it? worthwhile and is that what allows that determination to be made and in the extreme case of self-sacrifice for a higher ideal or principle is that what even allows that determination to be made because the let, let me ask yeah. it this way i'll, I'll is, leave it there for now and let you jump in is uh is the self-sacrifice for your ideals, whether it's freedom, truth, God, whatever, uh, it, is that not the greatest form of wealth that there is? So, so to say, you know, I die for my belief in this thing so that, that at the moment of death, I feel the closest to, 
to, to God and meaning and purpose and truth that I have ever felt. And that causes for my destruction. Mm -hmm. You know, like my question, mm -hmm. am I the wealthiest man or am I the poorest man? Because like I don't have material things and I can't verify the material thing. But what I'm saying is that in the non-material things, like I actually truly have the infinite. I have unified with my God in a way that is meaningful. And I think if I was to die in that way that people could actually say, hey, he achieved matriarchy in some way. It would seem to me that I leave a legacy that verifies that wealth, you know, um, and furthermore, like it's a subjective thing based on my own perspective, you know, and I, I think when we look at the concourse of human history and people that have made similar choices, I would say that's actually true, that they like made a personal sacrifice in their life in order to pursue a greater value or meaning towards what it is. And through that action, that display, that act, they were able to merge into their highest form of truth and wealth that allowed for them to bond into history in this way that like, you know, we can look back at somebody like Joan of Arc and like to, to think about the form of wealth that she occupies in our day and age by being a known individual who's honored and celebrated for having sacrificed herself for those things. When I think if we went back in time to that exact same spot, people would be like, yo, Joan's crazy to dude. Like she started this war and shit. Now she's going to get burned alive for like what her opinions are made a mistake, mm. you know, but again, it, it's the, <laughs> we can't connect to that subjective idea of what true transcendental wealth is because we have a materialistic perspective through fiat and through that material perspective of fiat it's almost impossible to try to speak to transcendental non-sensual forms of wealth that aren't material yeah and i i guess it's important to be clear that I, I don't think it's necessary to like die for your highest ideal, right? To, to die into the, your, you know, the principle of God or something to, to be an embodiment of it. But it, it's, it's just, let's say it's a, it's another potential outcome or element of subordinating your, subordinating yourself to it. Like you could, you could subordinate yourself to the quote unquote principles of God or, or, you know, the principles of freedom and truth and love for your entire life and, and never have to die for it. Right. Like I, you know, so I'm, I'm not suggesting we all have to prove our, uh, prove our faith by, uh, dying for the principles that, uh, under that, that constitute it. But I think those examples give us some insight into, well, it's interesting to, investigate and like I, I think you just did a great job there like what's happening when that occurs like what's happening consciously and what's happening spiritually when that occurs and it certainly seems to be the case that a decision is made that the value and expressing the value of the principle supersedes the value of one's own subjective existence and as a result they give their subjective existence to it and then, as you said, because that's such a powerful action, 
that it's very often the case that the people throughout history that have done that end up being, you know, praised and held up, you know, perhaps uh, several centuries after it actually occurred because that act has such a power. And, you know, what you, when you were saying it, what you made me think is like, I think you, I think it's possible to unify with the energy force principle of God in other ways, but that's certainly, I think you could characterize that action as also being a representation of that, um, the final act of it, let's say something like that. Yeah. And you know, like that, that same energy, like it, it, I think it manifests itself most frequently and most recognizably in our world through, through extraordinary acts of art um, and the way that we can sort of recognize the truth that's delivered through that art. Um, but I also think like another interesting thing about that point is uh, this idea of the subjective value of the individual versus the inner subjective value of the world. These people that do these really great things they have a different viewpoint that they're willing to, you know, sacrifice themselves or their lives or whatever else about it for. And usually far into the distant future, that individual's stance is well understood, such as Joan of Arc. Whereas in the actual present moment that they're in, their subjective value, not only is it is it not valued, but it, it's devalued so much that like they, those people can be destroyed. And I think it's very interesting how often this presents itself again and again through history. And I would also point out that very frequently the final method of uh, subordinating yourself to a greater value is actually, uh, as opposed to an action, it's an inaction. It's a refusal to submit yourself to something else. And it's that through that refusal that it creates uh, what Ambigan calls an inoperativity, that like it, it breaks the operational functions that are at play. And I think that that's a really important idea of wealth in our global materialist society, because inaction ends up being this very, very powerful tool because it's refusing all of the other stuff. And I think with Bitcoin and our participation in Bitcoin, the inoperativity uh, that frankly all of Bitcoin operates at, you know, in terms of if you or I never touched our Bitcoin ever again, like the network is all the more secure because of that. You make me, that makes me think, and I guess this, this is not just an inoperative sort of approach, but uh, this idea of not lying, of of telling the truth, of staying subordinate to the truth, at least as far as you can uh, comprehend or understand it, that's something very similar, right? It's a different manifestation of that type of sub subordination or that type of sacrifice, where you're you refuse to engage, you know, to the point you just made in the expression of meaning, of value, uh, that is not in alignment with what you see and believe to be the truth. And then, you know, pursuing this idea of like integration across scales that we were discussing earlier, if you're properly oriented and integrated, you know, that, 
your your refusal to lie or your dedication and subordination to the truth connects all the way down to you know again that that source of greatest meaning if if you are an individual who's been pursuing that type of integration if you're trying to discover the greatest values and the greatest truths and the greatest principles and or and 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 tether yourself or ground yourself in them then your how you express yourself whether you choose not to express yourself in a certain way or do or to express yourself in a certain way is a direct reflection of that not dissimilar to the the kind of connection between law and and religion that we we're uh, we we're talking about earlier and so again you have this you have this connection to the realm or the ideas or the forces of greatest meaning that we, by virtue of the fact that it's, we allow it to orient our behavior, we're, we're communicating that they are the things of greatest value because they're the things that are determining how we act. And so I just keep coming back to this question, like in that, like with that being said, how should we construe wealth? I, has this, you know, you know, has I, this conversation? I, I think what it has to be is, is wealth truly is the pursuit of truth. And like what that subjective truth means to you and the pursuit of trying to integrate that truth in an inner subjective world. And I think that that has right. truth because, I, you know, like the, the reason uh, to refuse lying isn't so much because there's a gain that I get by lying and manipulating, but that by moving farther away from the truth, I'm actually tricking and fooling myself in a way that uh, makes my fidelity and understanding of the world worse. And it's really important to, to have this notion that through the pursuit of truth, we keep increasing the fidelity of the world to have a greater and deeper understanding of it and bond to it that allows for us to pursue it in a way from first principles that makes sense. And furthermore, particularly in our world of, of guile, lie, and deception, uh, presenting the truth and hitting those lies and hitting those lies again and again. But then when you finally hit somebody else that that truth reverberates against, I think very much like how many of the conversations you and I have had, you want to pursue that deeper and reverberate with it, not for the hubris of trying to fool yourself of what the truth is, but for the actual true desire to understand what the truth is, even if it's not something that, you know, what you desire or want to have. And I, and I have the idea in my head that like, it's the, the truth that one will tell oneself when you're training for say a marathon to say, Oh, my time was too slow. I need to push harder. I need to do more reps. I need to, I need to demand more of myself versus uh, the lies that an individual will tell themselves. Oh, I was sick or, you know, I didn't get enough sleep. So it's okay. And ultimately, at the finality of these sort of pursuits that the man with hubris gets defeated because he refused to look at the truth of the situation, whereas the man who looks at the truth of the situation augments his worldview in such a way that integrates that feedback in a meaningful way. And I think because of fiatism, right. 
we've been able to go into a world where we don't need to pursue that kind of truth in a meaningful way because we've obfuscated out from it far enough. Right, exactly. And so it's because of that, those relationships to ourselves, to the broader world, to each other that are able to be established by taking those approaches that are constituted and oriented by those most fundamental principles that we are able to more ably extract the best potential from those variously integrated uh, aspects of reality that we are in some kind of relationship to. So in, in that sense, like wealth is still to bring it, you know, way back to the beginning is still perhaps the ability to access uh, more or the ability to access more of <laughs> the ability to access more things of, of greater meaning perhaps, but it's this by constituting our behavior in this way, we're able to engage the world with each other and e extract from that sea or soup of near limitless potential better and better things from it. And yeah, wealth it, it, is I would say it's a form of being knowledge more capable that, and able to do that. Yeah. So I would say wealth is a form of knowledge that creates itself through the unveiling of the pursuit of truth. And what I think is really interesting is that uh, this aligns with the Greek word of truth, aliothea, which means to unveil, you know, and, and, and I just point out at this point in time that, you know, like you, you and I are, you know, quite deep into these conversations and we've only gotten to this place in our conversation by, by like having these very astute, you know, and like we keep coming back to this thing of wealth and kind of pounding on it. And I think the only way to actually uncover the answers to these questions is through a very astute form of thinking deeply about the topic, you know, and not to, not to put ourselves on a pedestal at all, but I think it, it's pretty easy to wash over these questions repeatedly and not really try to drill down into them. And I think it's only through a deep pursuit of drilling into these things and, and pouring over them again and again and again does stuff start to unveil itself and clear up, you know? And uh, yeah, I just, I think that's important because I think that that's the same way that, uh, frankly that like most crypto shit has created itself is that like there's this sort of quickly running past that well like wealth is clearly like a token that we create and like redeem for dollars so like on to the next question um whereas you know that's not actually it at all but and it also goes to point towards uh the hubris and the obfuciations towards truth that allow for these things to operate Yeah, I mean, you could you could use the more common, less esoteric parlance of just saying it's first principles thinking, right? I mean, we're we're trying to strip down to the truth, and like I do think, you know, we we've talked about this before, I think, but this characterizes how Bitcoiners are beginning to engage all domains of their life, right? And and. Why is that? And I think, you know, it's possibly the case. It's, it's, it's very much because when you strip down 
to the most fundamental or core orienting first principles, let's say, or, or orienting truths, well, then, of course, that uh, has a dramatic impact on how you do it in all less fundamental domains, let's say. You know, and so this is why I think a lot of us are not satisfied with easy explanations, whether it be in the realm of politics, in medicine and health, in, uh, uh, you know, in, in physiology or in, in business or in, you know, in any domain. Like there's a, there's a real determination to understand each each level of how things are working and what they're ultimately grounded in. And I, you know, again, I think, as you keep saying, the fiat uh, system has, has obfuscated so much of that. And that's why there's such a distrust in it. Because I can't, first of all, either I can't see the connections between all the different layers of things, and I want to because I want to see how everything connects together. Or if you can, you wind up seeing that if you try to, strip it down to its fundamental connections and see what it leads to it le- instead of leading and being grounded in fundamental truths right like um, um, inarguable truths you see that the foundation is deceit and dishonesty and lies and you know power and corruption and those sorts of things and as a result unsurprisingly again there's a there's a dismissal or a distrust by people like you and I of those systems because they're improperly constituted and founded. And so what we're, I think, trying to be a part of both in how we communicate to each other and the work that we do and the people that we interact with and the movement that we're a part of, let's say, is just being two other voices that try to, in everything we do, ground ourselves in tether ourselves to the best principles that we can and allow our action to stem from there and do our best to understand how each level of whatever system we're a part of, be it our own behavior or otherwise, is connected to one another and ultimately tethers back to, to, to those more profound and in our view, valid foundations. Yeah, I think you've brought up this idea of Petersons of these like levels before. And I and I think one important thing is, is through fiatism, like all of the levels are like fucked up from top to bottom. And it's an authoritarian decree from the, t- you know, from globalized society with, you know, WEF and all this bullshit to our nation states with their laws to, you know, our states or providences down to town, community, family, self. And because it's all fucked up and it runs all the way down to the self, that now at the self with Bitcoin, we have this sort of recovery towards truth. I think it's now trying to push back up through all of that in the same way. And I think also because of the way that this truth has reverberated against us, its discovery of what these things mean, we're now shoving that out into all of these other realms as well, that I think. I, I think asking these questions before Bitcoin, it was a lot easier to dismiss them because um, I think a lot of fiatism's permanence before Bitcoin, it was easy to say, well, you know, like we can't we can't have a global non-nation state currency done. You know, like the idea of trying to defeat the state done. 
And again, one of the really important aspects of this is, is that through Bitcoin's production in the world today, as we know and understand it, it opens up a world that was totally and absolutely impossible before because of how deep fiatism had bled into everything. And we can see that with kind of the anthropocegents, with proliferation of nuclear weapons, you know, with, with all of these great existential questions introduced to humanity. But now we have an object getting us closer to the truth in that instead of us needing to take the top-down authoritarianism that's pushed into us, we can push back. And one thing that I would point towards as well is uh, from this first principles, the idea of security and safety that we spoke to, it's very readily apparent to me that the promise of security or safety, not only from the state, but from banks or any other institutions, none can hold a candle whatsoever to the promises of Bitcoin. And that's so profoundly important in a world where, you know, I can't find safety or security in anything offered by contemporary society, whether it's what they tell me about health, as the pandemic should have told you, whether it's what I'm told about politics, whether it's what I'm told about regulation, all of these ideas of safety and security that are given to us, I actually think that they're given to us through a perspective of terror and that through that perspective of terror, it's, you should always be afraid, that you need to have the state to protect you, that you're too weak to provide for yourself or your family, that you must rely upon the state. And for us to uncover these other truths that maybe we can actually have a form of self-care and self-ethics that allow for us to care for ourselves first and foremost, and furthermore, that that form of self-care not only can counter the power of the state, but in my opinion, introduce an existential question to the state, whether if the state is even needed anymore with Bitcoin, I think is a very, very important principle that as we move deeper into this territory, it's going to become a larger and more pressing issue that many people I think are going to both see. And I think that is going to introduce, uh, in my opinion, one of the final moves in the state really uh, freaking out about what Bitcoiners are doing. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you bring up self care again, just then, and, you know, it's interesting to think that based on what we've been discussing, like once, and again, I'm sure there's many reasons for this, that, but once you're, you, you gain greater clarity on how it is you're oriented what it is you're oriented by, what that fundamental substrate that you're tethered to actually is. And again, we've, as we've been discussing something akin to like, you know, liberation and, and ultimate or profound, you know, truth. Maybe it's the case that the reason why, you know, one of the reasons why that this, this self care is amplified as a result is because now you're, more imbued with or you're you're more intimately wrapped up with those things of ultimate or greatest meaning right you know to to maybe uh again be a little bit more dramatic but like you are now more godly in a sense you're or you're closer to the godly principles and as a result maybe you have a greater respect for yourself because you recognize yourself as a representation or an expression of those principles and you can see you know, you can see how you're connected to them and how your behavior is, is an expression of them. And, you know, even if you, you have a lot of like, uh, 
you know, self-loathing or apathy or, or insecurity or whatever that still kind of impinges on how you act. At least there's also this thing over here that is saying, yeah, but you're also deeply connected to these principles. And for that reason, to steward them almost, you know, to cultivate them in a way you should, uh, or maybe not you should, but people seem to be compelled to practice a greater ethics of, st- of self-care and, and, you know, the, the kind of things that you've been uh, articulating there or that you just articulated. Yeah. And I think what you just touched on was a really interesting point of that, uh, like through being closer to this idea of godliness or of truth that inflects God's love back to you and also encourages you to have the courage to speak what his truth is, even if it's something that you're fearful of or afraid of. And then to have that inflected back on you from other individuals that feel and share the same way, like, well, now we've unlocked something very different. And in my opinion, quite spectacular, because what I would say is that this is a form of wealth that actually like this is is the truest form and pursuit of what wealth is, because like now we're actually talking about a commonwealth of truth, the most public thing, res publica, which it turns out like all of these non-sensual things, the pursuit of truth maybe is actually the most important foundational aspect of what we would call a commonwealth. And that's why we need to have this foundational substrate that allows for us to create that connection. And I think now what we're discovering is that that common substrate, while it was once offered to us by the state, the state no longer can offer those same guarantees because of the way that they've allowed themselves to completely break out of having any responsibility towards their own legalism. Which again, with the abusiation between the idea of God's law and state law, well, essentially the state has tried to put itself into the place of God. And with that sort of hubris, there's no ability to see or understand or respect the self-sovereignty of individuals And furthermore, in my opinion, when individuals say, I am self-sovereign, I don't need to be accountable to the state in this way. Well, that directly threatens that, that threatens their sovereignty directly. And I think as the state looks at this longer, it's going to be very interesting to see how it starts to interact with Bitcoin. Yeah, and that's a, that's a great additional angle to the idea of wealth that we've been trying to sculpt here because it's not just access to the to more things of greater meaning let's say something like that or it's not just a, a closeness a greater closeness to the source of meaning or access to the source of meaning but it's also the the sharing of the source of greatest meaning with other people and, and the, the willingness of other people to share in that meaning with you on the same terms or something like that. You know, so as you were just saying, like when you have these people that are willing to engage you in that way and interact with or trade or help or what have you, like basically aid in your process of becoming and maybe that's wealth 
and, and you know, so in, in a sense, like you could establish that without the medium of money, without the a financial intermediary there. And I think, you know, what's happening here in, in Bitcoin land, you know, uh, a brotherhood and a sisterhood sort of thing is being created where I think in a hyper Bitcoinized world or in the citadels or wherever, there will be a lot of, uh, it's, it's possible that there will be a lot of nine non-financial value exchange or, or, or cooperation or something like that. Uh, but absent that, you know, you have this intermediary that is money that's trying to, cultivate that to the extent possible when it's of a less pure variety or something like that. And then of course it, it goes without saying that the, the fidelity of that medium goes a long way to determining how well it, it actually uh, performs that function. But so I guess, you know, this, this idea of, as you just said, this idea of wealth is not just access to greater meaning, but access to, greater shared meaning and what manifests as a result of that. Does that make any well, sense? I think, yeah. And I think the one of the important parts I'd point out there is, is the co-creation that we do with other people that does create that wealth, you know, and whether it is an economic exchange directly or, you know, something like what you and I are doing here, you know, having a dialogue that's co-creating I would say there's a form of wealth here that, you know, it's not monetary, but it's something else. And I think that that with each mm. other doing that together, there's this potentiality of infinity of that. Uh, like, I, I don't know what you and I can make together because I don't know what you're bringing to it in the same way that I don't know what sort of interactions I can have with others, which in a lot of ways is, is this lighter form before an economic exchange. You know, same thing. I go out in the forest, I find 10 pounds of mushrooms. I can't cook them all, but I can go to a bakery and they can go, hey, you know, you can have a bunch of baked goods for the next three weeks because you provided us with all these mushrooms. Well, I'm now getting something I didn't expect and they're getting something they didn't expect. And we're both getting more value because of the way that we can co-create with that together. But I think even more important than that is this idea and exchange of, of value for value. Like we're, we're moving towards a world where instead of it just being about the monetary exchange that we can start to recognize there are other sets of values that have importance. And it's not to discount the purely monetary or, or, or financial one, but it's to say that there are other things within that as well. Um, and I think a, a great example would be, you know, like uh, I make my Bitcoin church and people come and pray and I go, oh, like donate Satoshis for the cause. And people are like, oh, or like, you know, here's 500 Satoshis. You can have like a fraction of a cent. Well, I'm excited because I realize this value 500 years from now is, you know, going to feed people for four days, you know, for the whole church. I'm like, that's great. Whereas to this person, you know, it was just, you know, a couple of stats they're throwing my way. And so I think part of us pursuing this idea of what wealth is, I actually think we're moving to a place now that as opposed to fiat imposing its lies upon the world and us creating a world together through those lies, we're doing the opposite. Bitcoiners are bringing an immovable truth, insisting that is the truth. And we're going to use that to move all of the fiat world around it. And I think that that change is going to be quite spectacular. And I think we'll look actually messianic because of the way that 
people will come to self-sovereignty. And my great dream is, is that, you know, there's going to be some sort of digital internet league or something that like recognizes people's self-sovereignty through their presentation as such. And I think it's going to be pretty beautiful and incredible because, I mean, what what's not more beautiful and incredible than individuals recognizing the, their self-sovereignty and the liberty and freedom that all beings are entitled to and then the importance that it has to create a world like that. Because one of the other thing I believe is that uh, a world with free and liberated people creates infinite more wealth than one where people are controlled and manipulated. Like I, I fundamentally believe that. Yeah, I agree. Well said. How are you on time? Oh, I'm pretty good. I could use a piss or a cigarette, but it, it's so it's funny because I feel like <laughs> these dialogues are so heavy, and they can get, like, I, like how do we know when we've uh, finally like beat the horse fully to death? You know, like. <laughs> <laughs> so I think we. Well, I mean, we don't know about, until we beat it to death. <laughs> guess we got to smoke a bowl and ask the question again. Um, it's fascinating though. It's fascinating. Well, yeah. You know, you, you, um, you bring up this conversation as, as an expression of the type of wealth that, or an aspect of the type of wealth that we've been trying to explore here. And it, it is a good point and a good example because why am, you know, why are either of us pursuing this? Like part of it might be like, you know, we're buds and I said, Hey, do you want to do this? And you're like, yeah, yeah, sure. Why not? You know, but, but for me, for sure, a big part of the reason is I want to know, I want to know more. I want to understand more. And it's like, well, why? And that's a good question. It's because, and as far as I can currently understand is like, it seems like the greater understanding I have of myself and by extension others and the reasons why we do things and the, and the, the validity of the motivators that cause me to do things and the things that underlie that in the most fundamental sense seem to fill me up with a sense of what, what I guess I can all-encompassing only describe as like a, a type of wealth. Like it, 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 you know, you could, you could describe it as being filled up with all, you know, uh, dramatic language has been used like, you know, the grace of God or the power of love or all this kind of stuff, but something like that, right? Because otherwise, why do it? Why, you know, why have this fumbling, uh, incoherent in some parts conversation about like these difficult to wrap our heads around things if there wasn't a value in doing so. Now you could say, well, you're just doing it, you know, to publish a podcast or to be, you know, to gain notoriety and all that kind of stuff. And there may be elements of truth to that, but the, 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 the grander one is because there's a value in understanding it more. Right. And what is that value? That's the question. And I think part of it is what we've been discussing and what, what we've been trying to answer there is that it tracks back to something that ends up bestowing upon you a greater feeling of, yeah, you probably just said it. You, you probably just said yeah. it in, in love. And that is the ultimate value, 
or the, or the ultimate you know, you know source of wealth. And I think because because so part of this intellectual pursuit, I think it is sharing and exposing and being vulnerable with one another, which is is like sort of prerequisites to, to building love and agape together. But I'd say with agape, like through this pursuit of truth, like again, I want to know too. And like one of the you know one of the most troubling questions for me is like, is this actually the messianic object that has been promised to humanity that can liberate everybody from <laughs> the last vestiges of slavery? And like, that's a big motherfucking statement. And like it, introducing the <laughs> statement in and of itself makes me feel insane. And like, I want to know, like, am I fucking crazy or is this thing as powerful as I think it is? Because if it is as powerful as I think it is, what does it mean that God loves us so much that he gives us this object in the middle of what seems to be like the capturing of all of humanity in this fucked up technological machine? that he provides some way to liberate us from us, you, you, you know, like it, it's, it's too much, but also like, as I, you know, it, I can't move away from it and I have to pursue it. Cause like, I need to know. And I think that needing to know <laughs> in itself is a form of wealth because we feel a greater sense of a bond towards spirituality, God, truth, these other things. And so much so that I think this pursuit in itself you know, asking that question, would we die for this? And I know I've answered yes, but it's also that like, and again, I've said like, you know, I don't want to die or any of these things, but I think that that pursuit and getting closer and closer towards that gives us such deep reasoning and conviction in the world that we can eventually come to terms with death. And this is a very important step, uh, you know, essentially in, in Dyson and, and our being in the world is coming to an authentic relationship with what it means that we will die. And I think so much of this world is augmented and oriented towards trying to prevent us from needing to deal with the question that I will die and you will die. And what does it mean once we have died and we've moved through death? And I think because of what fiatism is and the inherent prattle it always is, it can't answer that question, which is also why we pursue after this thing so tenaciously, because it's literally impossible to answer with anything that we've been given by fiat. Yeah. And, and again, let's keep pursuing this. Like, let's say you're not crazy and it is that thing, you know, the messianic gift from God, blah, blah, blah. Right. But who cares? I don't mean I don't mean to say it's irrelevant, but I mean like if we're if we're trying to you know get right down to fundamental motivations of like what it what is it that fills you with the like with the glory of existence that we might otherwise call wealth, you know that or, or that fills you with maximal or optimal meaning that we otherwise might call wealth that fills you with love that we otherwise might call wealth. Like if what, if that assertion that you're making is true, why does it matter for you? And I don't mean in the, in the, with regards to being a person in society, although that's definitely valid too, in terms of, you know, the, the, the culture and the society in which you live, but like on a deeper level, why does, why is that a relevant occurrence or, or implication in the context of how we've been exploring, you know, meaning and its, its role. 
the best answer I have for that, you know, is uh, why does the artist continually pursue their pursuit towards truth and trying to create something of such aesthetic beauty in the world that it moves other people? You know, like it. This is some of the mysterious stuff that I don't have the answer to other than the way that God speaks to you uniquely in the world and the way that he's shown you this thing, you know, and to me, like, this is part of the deepest ontology of my metaphysics of that, like, this is that secret. Like, it is the secret that only you can know, that only your idea of God can whisper to you that and that you have no capacity to repeat or state openly in this world like it is the in, it is the utmost intimacy of what the secret to know what the meaning of life is and to have the knowledge of being able to die and feeling comfortable with that it's not something that can be stated or shared or exposed beyond your own personal relationship to god and the conviction that you have in it and i suppose for me personally it's um, it's provincial for me because like, I see that this is God's intended purpose for me in the world. And while like I have full choice to just like turn this shit off and like go be a fisherman for the rest of my life, I, I actually don't feel any capacity to like move differently from it. Like I feel obligated towards pursuing this. And it's not only because of the way that the truth reverberates in me, but, um, I want to strive towards that glory that I believe is God and furthermore, the way that it has empowered and changed me and made me into somebody that I didn't think I could be like, this is my form of devotion and celebration towards it to honor and respect that infinite capacity that I felt unlocked in me by God giving me this life instead of my fiat life. And, and the emergence of this object, right, this messianic object, does that serve mostly just to, uh, like, to validate or to prove God's existence? And, and that's meaningful because it, it fills you up more with that essence? Or is it purely... Uh, like an interpersonal relevance because of, you know, let's say you may not have needed it to be filled up in that way as an individual, but to interact on those terms perhaps was never prior possible. And this object has now allowed for uh, such relationships or that feeling to be communicated uh, between people rather than solely as an individual. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Like I'm trying to yes. determine if your perception of the emergence of this thing uh, changes yourself as an isolated individual, as well as a member of a, you know, a, a one plus as, as, as of a group and a society, or if it's only in the latter, you may have already answered I think that, but uh I think it was both in, in, in these pretty extreme directions, because I, I would say that, that the inner subjective part is about uh, like approvability of this wealth through nonviolence, which to me, the ability to be able to have a money in form of wealth in the world that is nonviolent, validated through cryptography and all of these things, to me proves uh, like 
the grandeur and beauty that God is. Cause he, he's saying, look, like I, I want this tool to be out in the world for anybody to use that not only does it operate on practices of nonviolence, but like when individuals are using it appropriately and fully to the greatest degree to keep their security and privacy secured, you know, like they, there isn't any way for you to locate a body. There, there's no way for you to find an identity to destroy. Um, and to me, like that's, that's this form of love that's so profound. Um, and what I find is even more interesting is that like that same love, it's being communicated to another individual or person, but not one that I can ever actually know. It's like this metaphysical other that because of the way that we interact through Bitcoin, I have we have to like prove to each other that we love and respect each other enough because we will use a money that has a fixed and limited supply. We will demand each other use forms of cryptography that we know the NSA and other states can't break, that we will honor and respect each other enough to push this out into the world. And I think for me, as I've reflected more and more upon it, you know, like I, you know, I want to go out and proselytize the good news that like we have Bitcoin now and we don't need to continue to utilize these forms of statism and violence. And it's spoken to me and changed me in a way that, you know, like this, this is my life's purpose at this point in time. And this is what I will pursue and push out into the world. And uh, yeah, it's given me a form of wealth that's greater uh, in a very profound and personal way too, of like having God be like, look, just like dump everything in and like have faith that like this will work. And that like the fixed it. Well, and it feels really crazy. You're like, I'm, I'm trying to destroy all of my wealth. Like I'm doing things that everybody says is insane and stupid. And yet there's this voice in my head. That's like, no, like that's the like, do it, like put all there. And that faith, that conviction that self-knowledge that pushes beyond just logical fact, it then rewards you multitude, multitude, multitudes over what you expected it to do. And to me, that's the other component here of having convictions in our own forms of truth is that they, they truly are truth. And that's why it can generate so much wealth so quickly and so profoundly is because it's interacting with us in a way that's totally and entirely different from fiat world. And it's ironic that through that interaction, that is just pure truth being telegraphed, that it becomes the most valuable object in a decade, simply because it's contrasted against the absolute lies and prattle that fiat is. It, it's fucking funny. Right, right, right. And that, again speaks to the profound value of something like pure truth uh, and, and the value that it can generate too. Um, all that being said, what if this does go away? It's not messianic. It breaks. It is not what we think it is. We're way overdoing it. We want meaning too much in our lives. We're, we're, We've been too affected by the fiat sickness and having to live in a culture like that. And it's, as a result, we're imposing far more meaning than we actually should be there. And not to say that, I mean, we, that's what we do, right? We impose meaning. So it doesn't mean it's not real, but let's just say it's not many of the things that we've been 
exploring and considering that it might be, and it goes away. And God doesn't love you to the degree that you thought he did because this isn't, you know, uh, another manifestation of his principles in the earthly realm, let's say. What happens then to, you know, because my original question was like, is this serving on an individual basis as a proof that, you know, elements of God's godly principles, fundamental truths, whatever, however you want to characterize them, can and do emerge in, in, in greater form intermittently to aid or save humanity in certain ways. All not true. What does that do to your, not, I don't want to, don't, like, I can appreciate what it might do to your worldview in terms of the social, economic, and cultural world, but I mean as like around these more fundamental uh, sources of meaning that we've been dis- discussing, how does it affect how you see the world and yourself in it, I guess, but not in rea- in, in reality, uh, not the, the social world. It, like, it's really hard to try to look at that. Uh, like, frankly, cause like I just reject it <laughs> um, on one level. Like I just, <laughs> Well, because, like, the other thing is, is, like, if Bitcoin was to break, like, there are all these really profound ramifications that have to, like, fold out. And I actually think the greatest truth is, is that, like, we would see underneath that this is all first principled stuff. And so, like, we can just rebuild Bitcoin or we can fork. Um, And I actually think, like, it would really reverberate the profound political implications that I think are at the very bottom of Bitcoin. Um, yeah, I, I almost want to say, like, I can't even look at it at this point because, like, I'm so deep into it and I owe so much to it. Like, I don't I don't know how I'd make reason about the world and it would make me question all these, you know, because, like, do all, does all crypto die or is it just Bitcoin? And, um, you know, to, to me at this point, it, it's almost entertaining these questions that I can't see until it happens because it, it would need to, you know, like, how is Bitcoin destroyed? Is it like a 51% attack? Like do, do nation states nuke miners? Like, is it, is it fully attacking people's identities? Um, you know, it would, it would really have to speak to me about how it came about, but furthermore, like, I think the production of these things and how we interact with it, uh, I, I guess like the deepest truth is, is that like, Bitcoin has nothing to do with money as much as it has to do with like us as people and how we choose to organize ourselves around that. And so like, I think Bitcoin's the shilling point. And I think like, even if that shilling point was destroyed, we'd still be like, Hey guys, we like discovered that as humans, we can like build this shilling point and like operate around it. Um, You know? And, and my hope is, is that like almost immediately on the internet that like, uh, you know, like Anons would pop up and be like, check out my new protocol. That's like going to be able to like rectify and correct all of the things that like made Bitcoin defeatable. And again, to me, this is what goes back into all of the metaphysics, because like, to me, this is about the, the concourse and manifestation of cryptography in the entirety of the human race, and then being pair bonded with energetic use for how that uh, is like this inherent baseline progress for like all of humanity. 
And so it's really hard to try to extricate out like, what if this breaks? Cause like, I don't, I don't think there's anything to break. Like I, I think as humans, we like made a discovery of like one of the most important ways to be able to organize as people in a globalized society with an internet. Um, but I, I, I guess to touch on it a little bit, like, I would personally feel crushed and I think like I would probably go into a depressionary <laughs> cycle that would like end with like that. So I, I, I don't know how to answer it. Like I'm, I'm, uh, I'm clearly far too invested in this, like monetarily, spiritually and economically. So um, I'm all in like I, and so like destroy it. You destroy me too. Maybe that's for the best. Right. This is, this is pretty wild that we get to have these conversations and that, you know, like I just <laughs> like, isn't it great that like, like, like who else and how else could you have these conversations? You know, like I, I can't, I can't sit down with normal people and talk about this shit, you know? Um, <laughs> I know. Yeah. I love it, man. I love it. I was, I was thinking like, well, I guess I think pretty frequently, but I thought about it again yesterday. I was like, well, I just, how will these, how will I interpret these 50 years from now? You know what I mean? Like, and, and one of the things I took away critically, because I, I, have you ever watched like the, um, the, the trialogues with Terrence McKenna, Ralph Abraham and Rupert Sheldrake, you know, in the oh, yeah, early nineties, yeah. late eighties, they I've would seen, just sit around I've like on pillows and there'd be like an audience. It. I've I've gotten various clips yeah. of it, but I haven't and so, like, to watch the whole yeah, so there'd be a hundred people there and they just throw up a video camera and it's just the three guys talking about psychedelics and technology and mathematics and all this kind of stuff. And I, I, I contrasted it with the types of conversations that I've been having. And I don't know if this is accurate or not, but one of the things I took away with it was like from it was it seemed like they were taking it more seriously than me. And I don't know if that's good or bad. And by that, I mean, like, I don't, it's not that I don't take these conversations seriously, but like, it's almost like they're too fun for me to, uh, and, and also I, I, it's difficult for me to ascribe any benefit beyond what I get from them, right. To even you, but certainly anybody else that might be listening, uh, it's difficult for me to do that enough to take it, to imbue it with a seriousness that recognizes that, that recognizes that it, it may be contributing to the thought processes of other people other than myself. You know what I mean? And so when I, when I was listening to those guys, I was like, and I don't know if it's good or bad either, because like maybe it's, it's kind of a egotistical thing for, you know, three dudes to sit up in a room of a hundred people and just talk as though like anything they're saying is relevant at all. Like maybe they're all just jerking each other off and maybe that's what we're doing. But, you know, so it's difficult. For, but now I, I don't think that's what we're doing as it regards my own understanding, because I get a lot to help f like refine my own, like we were saying before, like that's what I'm after. I'm, I'm after a continuously condensed or refined understanding of the things that are most important because of what it generates internally for me. Uh, but I was thinking like, 
in 50 years while I look back and be like, you didn't take the conversation seriously enough or you did. And I'm not sure where I'll, where I'll fall on that in 50 years. Uh, you know, like we, we got to get 50 years out to, to be able to reflect on that for one. But I think I, <laughs> you know, like the, the other I'd point out is that like, uh, the highest form of art is play, you know, and it, it's a, it's a play that's self-satisfying to yourself, you know? And so I really think what we're doing is we're engaging in an artistic process. That's really about us trying to deepen our own understanding about Bitcoin. You know, like I, one of the things I always think is so fascinating is when like people come to talk to me about Bitcoin, they're like, Oh, like you're like an expert on Bitcoin. Right. And I'm like, uh-uh, like I'm <laughs> no way. You know, whereas I think a lot of people point to like, you know, I think Eric might know something about Bitcoin, but like I'm, I'm not willing to to put myself out there, not only because of the hubris that I believe it has, but also because like, I, you know, I sincerely don't think I know much about it. I think it's really important to keep asking the questions that we're asking and looking at it in different ways. And I think through that, we're learning a lot. Um, you know, and I, I think to your personal question, you know, like, you brought up that idea of like who you are in 50 years. And like, I imagine I go out and visit you in Citadel 12 where like, you know, you're the ordained priest and you've locked yourself into to life <laughs> obligations to, to preside over the Citadel and to perform life-changing rituals for people, you know, and then we get to get together and do our, our priest stuff every so often. But, um, you know, like I, I honestly think that none of us can, and that's why I want to write my insane graphic novel is that like, I think this is actually eschatological. I'm like, I think as all of this escalates, like stuff becomes insane. And it's not because I want it to be that way, but like, to be clear, like there is this surveillance apparatus that's out there. That's super insanely powerful. That like involves these fucking shitheads in governments, like pressing various buttons to activate it. And I think it's inevitable that that thing gets activated. And I also think it's inevitable that like, it's totally outside of the power and hands of like human beings to stop. And it's because like, we've created this entire idiotic nonsensical assembly. And again, the deepest irony is that like in this hyper technological Borg thing that has the potentiality to destroy all of humanity, cryptography is like literally the only fucking thing we can use to like fight that in a meaningful way happens to be baked directly into Bitcoin. And it happens to like, bond us to all of this very human shit too like it's fucking wild and then like the biggest part of all of this is like <laughs> satoshi could have fucked all of this up at any point like he could just show up and be like hey it turns out i'm mark Andreessen and like i'm cashing out now and like whole project's over so like the fact that not only do we have all of these crazy alignments but then this person or thing or you know who knows what it is but they they had the courage and conviction to walk away and activate all this like man that is profound and wild and uh like i'm just so happy i get to participate in this and that like there was just something in my crazy brain that was like yeah like magic internet money is gonna change it eric fucking do it take out huge amounts of debt and buy it up you know <laughs> yeah it's fun to yeah it's funny because you I... know like so often I've it's, had my dad or other people just be like, well, you got lucky. You like bought your Bitcoin early on. And, you know, that was all luck. 
And yes, there was some luck, but I want to put on that like a lot of us crazy people, like we made some very poor financial choices in the pursuit of this that worked out great. And I think it's really important to honor and respect that because like that was that was a big risk a lot of us took on. So. And look at how we've been. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the journeys of everyone to this is I'm always fascinated to hear them because this doesn't account for everybody, especially now that it becomes mainstream and the the value prop is so easy to apprehend, you know, but before like there was a lot of people, I get the sense that just didn't feel like things were right. Didn't fit in, had rejected, uh, you know, modern culture and in many of its forms and just felt this incongruence, this nagging splinter in their mind. And when, and they, and they held on to it, you know, in to varying degrees. And then when this thing emerged that, seem to cohere and, and be congruent with the things that they had always felt were more fundamental within themselves and more fundamental within the world and that they could see rectifying the the mirage that had emerged around all the deceit and lies they were like fuck it that you know it yeah i'm going for it like that feels good that feels right that feels true and it's just it's so i mean the reason why we have so many of these conversations is it's so hard to appreciate or understand what's going on here. You know, and th this is why I always refer back to like how this is changing people because I mean, that's all there is, right? All there is, is our behavior. Other without that, it's just rivers, mountains and animals and all that jazz. Like, and the fact that this phenomenon is so shaking up, like, people's minds and in a good way, like shaking it up and having, you know, the snow globe orient more properly or having, you know, all the, the different levels of things that integrate more properly and lining up for a clearer, more truthful perspective and tethering themselves into those things that we were discussing earlier, like some type of greater meaning. And as a result, of course, opening up people's minds to the spiritual religious pursuits once again, like what in the f fuck kind of a thing does that and you know th the these the conversations are just fum fumbling well that's all we can do is fumble and the best answer i have is like this is literally yeah. what the recovery from nihilism looks like and we've never seen that happen in the world before because it's such an impossible thing and again to me like this is why this is a like a Heideggerian world event in terms of like the world spirit itself is coming to the recognition of something truly important. And to me, that is the recognition of the recover from nihilism, you know, or actually the truth is a true understanding of nihilism, which means that we can will to power the reactualization of God in the world. And to me, like that's exactly what Satoshi did. He literally built a machine that reactualize the truth and permanence of God in the world to contrast against the fiat world. And that's why with each block that happens to go down, it tells its truth. It maintains the protocol. It doesn't do anything different, but maintain that truth. And it becomes more powerful, you know, and that like that reverberates in this world that is so full of lies and guile. And when people encounter that, you know, like it, it is, it is a transcendental messianic exposure 
you know, and that I, I think I have prostrated myself in front of my God here and committed myself to it. And it's not because, you know, it's made me rich or that it's going to protect my money past me being killed. It's that we get to recover the entirety of the world for ourselves again. The world can be ours outside of this fucked up nonsense that we've been given by our fathers because we've been blessed by the wisdom of our ancestors and that we've been able to recover that truth has meaning in the world, that it has substance and more than either of those, it has value, value that goes far past and beyond any material thing that can be given to us because it is a totality of truth that bonds us to our God in such a deep and meaningful way that we can have the encounter with death and it does not augment how we want to encounter. And I think that like that's the actual meaning of life, you know? And 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 again, really <laughs> fucked up to be like, hey, like I'm gonna I'm gonna get rich with number goes up. And it's like fact, like turns out like this is all about you as a being in the world and what it means to come into contact with God. You're like, but I, I just wanted some money. <laughs> Oh man, beautifully put. And uh, but th- you know that's that's why I sometimes see it and characterize and in, in the piece use that uh, the etymology of the term religion, which by some accounts is the combining of re and ligare, right? Which is to reconnect, right? So it's this totem that helps you to reconnect to the fundamental truths, or at least the most fundamental truths that we. The human consciousness is able to access something well, like that. And before you, know, you go you any farther with that, like the, the money is cool, but the fact that we get to give that to people in this world, to me, like that, that's more meaningful than anything else. Because like I think of these places that I've came from of darkness and despondency and how fucking crushing that is. And to, to rescue someone from that is so, so meaningful. And again, who cares about the money thing? Giving people this ability to reason and protect themselves and maintain the promise of truth, you know, to honor the individuals with the Bitcoin protocol means so much to like give people that kind of self-respect and self-honoring that fiat is incapable of doing. You know, like, and I want to really emphasize that fiatism is incapable of the kind of respect that the Bitcoin protocol gives to you. And it's because it's based on that protocol as opposed to subjective opinions of individuals that have been empowered within a system. And again, goes all the way back to that Hobbesian idea. Truth, not authority, creates legitimacy. Yeah. And, you know, it's this is one of the reasons why I just can't leave it alone. It's too compelling is because what do people, you know, not just what we've observed already, but what do people become when they're influenced by such a thing? When, you know, all the things, all the different ways that this thing can and does influence people, what is like the end of that influence? And maybe there's not an end, but like, you know, 
because we're coming out of, of, of the fiat sludge world, right? So you and I are very much products of that world. Now, maybe we've tried to insulate ourselves from it and maybe we've tried to like uh, not be susceptible to the conditioning, but some of it's unavoidable, right? Like I'm sure our ancestors 500 years from now will be horrified at what we've both been subjected to and subjected ourselves to simply as a result of not having available other things that accommodate or speak to those, these elements of ourselves and that, that we've been exploring here today. And, you know, so it's, I keep like, my brain keeps wanting to ask the question, like what, how, how do people transform when met with that thing that you keep describing? Like, what is the, like, do we all become Jedis of some kind in 500 years? Like, is that ultimately if you, if once you collide, you know, the potential of, of human DNA and consciousness or, you know, whatever we are physiologically speaking with these realms of meaning and, and, and truth, like what emerges as a result of that? You know, I, I, I wrote an art, I wrote an article, uh, at the last having that like, just noticing how, how rapidly people seem to be reorienting themselves that like by the 2024 having, like we're all going to be, the term I used was Neo Spartan Jedi philosopher King savages, right? Just to throw a mishmash of all these different, you know, elements that I see becoming kind of awakened in people as a result. But like, what is a, you know, what results when you take a human being and you, you, you throw them in together with that. And then you layer on the, cumulative development and, and refinement of culture and civilization. And as a result, like landscapes of, of meaning and access to technology and that kind of stuff. I mean, I mean, there's no answers to it, but it, it, I think it's one of those things that just is super fun to consider. You know, I, I think you get community and like, when I use this word community, I want to capture it in a much, much deeper sense than how we understand community as being some sort of, physical area of, you know, a uh, uh, pluralcy of relationships. You no, know, like true community of like the, the Sinobi of the Franciscan monks, that because we are bonded to our relationships to each other through this community that we've created, that there's a whole new culture that gets produced, a, a whole new way of life that gets introduced and that through that way of life, we can pursue something entirely different from before that we can't actually know, you know, and whether it means that uh, we're out developing citadels in the jungle and creating our own culture of, you know, hunting these things or I, I can't say it's totally cloaked at this point in time, but it starts to recreate itself and refuse itself in a meaningful way because now like, Community's been utterly destroyed. It's been it was decimated by fiat world and then overlaid with law, and then we were put into these. You know, my opinion of what towns and cities are now are, are sort of neo ghettos, but ghetto like ghettos in the deepest sense of, of like what it meant to have like a forced surveilled community of Jews. You know, um, and I think it's really important that as people encounter and get closer and contemplate these things that you know for me one of the reasons why i'm an anarchist is not only because i want to refute the state 
but because I want to create an opening to build something with other people that's meaningful. And it doesn't mean that, you know, chaos all the time and that like there's no meaningful rules, but it's that I get to decide and participate in the creation of those rules and I will subordinate myself to those rules, not because I'll be physically punished or hurt because of that, but through the subordination to those rules, I know and understand that something better gets created. And I think this is what we're building together. And I also think that, you know, when we look back on all this in 2040, we'll be like, wow, like we, you know, we're saying some wacky stuff, but man, we did not, we didn't know that this stuff was going to happen. Dude. I mean, what you just said is the exact same. So you said, you know, I'll subordinate myself to these rules because something better can be created by doing so. And, and you're making that relation in the, political realm via like a philosophy like anarchy, right? The exact same thing is what takes place in the spiritual religious realm. You say, I'm going to subordinate myself to these rules, whether they be freedom or truth or what have you, because something better could be cre- can be created as a result of that. You know, so it's like it's the same sort of process or the same, you know, valuation or decision making process just taking place on a different scale. Right. And yeah, I, it's like think... a time preference thing that has you actually recognize that like uh, that, you know, like having this really short time, this very short term time preference of needing self-satisfaction immediately like that, that doesn't relate to this other realm that's really important. Uh, and and yeah, like I, I, I don't know, like it, it's pretty clear to me that like many of us have gone through this induction process and what i find fascinating is that like there yeah like it's ontological there's something about this that like feeds back into people and has them keep digging and it's fucking fascinating and it's great that like we're getting all this more scaffolding <laughs> and that it it i don't know i feel like it's a bloom now you know what I mean? That like it, it, it's something that's self-compelling itself and like this Cambrian explosion of information and knowledge that's coming out. It, I don't know the fact that like we're sitting in 2022 and that like Bitcoin seems like it's like the most contentious political issue in the United States. Like that's fucking wild. Yeah. Yeah. And it, as you just said, I mean, it's inspiring so much, right? There's so many books, podcasts, videos, projects, businesses just being, as you said, like exploded out of this, this one thing. And it's hard to see it when you like when you're in it, right? In hindsight, it'll be so obvious to be like, wow, like this thing emerged and it just exploded in all directions. And its influence just, you know, it had influence on so many different things so quickly and so rapidly. Yeah. I think, um, again, in I, all honesty, I wanna... cause like we've, go ahead. We've been, sorry. I, cause like we've been pursuing for so long, this, okay. uh, uh, almost, you know, like we're, we're, we've almost been trying to give people Bitcoin for a very long time being like, look at all, like try to understand all this. And I feel like we're now moving into the place where like uh, people are going to choose sides where like it's not about understanding it anymore. It's about like whether you like it or not. And that seems to be aligning on political lines in addition to like 
I don't know, the political side I'm worried about because like it's setting itself up perfectly for a hyperinflationary crisis that then gets answered by a bunch of far left socialists that are going to go full communist like in the middle of this. And I don't know, like it's just it's super wild to like be to like be in Russia a hundred years ago, you know, and be like, oh, hey, look, like the <laughs> There's an inflationary crisis and the state's seizing all means of production. And like, they're telling us that like all this shit's good for us. And like, it's, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's really interesting. Like I never, if you like went to me in 2000 was like, yo, Eric, by like 2025, like you're going to be fighting both the Nazis and the communists. I'd be like, the fuck? Like we did, we did that shit 90 years ago. I thought we finished that. <laughs> no, apparently not. <laughs> Yeah, man. I mean, I I have to not remind myself, but appreciate, or I guess it's it it's impressed upon me more often these days. Like, if you just step back a little bit, you see how quickly the vortex is gaining steam, right? The vortex of of change, of profound change, and it's it's being represented in so many different domains. And you know, I mean, it's exciting for sure. It's invigorating. But, you know, vortexes are also chaotic, right? So it, 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 it bears uh, spending time on determining, like, just how you're going to insulate or ride, ride it out because, like, things are picking up steam even probably faster than you and I who try to keep track of things are appreciate because we're still, I don't know, our, our vantage point is not ideal for keeping track of that. But, again, in hindsight, like, you just take from 2008 to 2030 and you, you know, that, that period of time will probably be seen as really fucking transformative, you know, and a lot of people will probably get caught up in it in various ways in, in not so good ways and, so, and some very good ways, obviously. You know, I'm uh, I, the other thing that I appreciate so much is just like the, this, I don't know if we could say it's a primary or secondary influence of like Bitcoin on our thought, but like see, seeing all this other really important organizational stuff, you know, like what what untapped growth is doing and, and his pursuit there. And, you know, like uh, this thing w w with Russia no longer going to be exporting their ammonium nitrate like that. That's like crazy ass alarming because like pe people are so unaware of how precarious our food systems are like. Like, I'm freaking out that, like, you know, uh, I got to drive a few towns <laughs> over to get fruit trees. And so, like, I'm sitting here, like, I, I, I think if I, like, don't buy my 20 fruit trees now, I'm going to be, like, fucked. Uh, you know, and I already got, like, 50 fruit trees in production. Um, and it's scary because, like, I very much think we're, we're going into all this really crazy direction. And it's really going to require people taking self-responsibility for themselves to protect themselves. And again, money is the primary component of this, but, you know, it goes on to like, you need to have land, you need to know how to grow stuff, you know, it, and in all honesty, it goes back to, to forms of knowledge of understanding how different things work in order to protect yourself and whether that's public key cryptography and Bitcoin and how you're going to secure that or just understanding how to grow a fruit tree and why you need to prune it and why it needs fertilizer. You know, these are really important components that, uh, into the future, we're going to need to, to have greater and deeper understanding. And it's very strange how Bitcoin seems to be 
leading towards all of these other things that don't seem to be related to it at first. Yeah, well, it's bringing everyone back to, you know, a, a truthful tether to those things that are most important. You know, like, so your experience growing the fruit trees, instead of just going to Whole Foods and picking up your apples and your peaches or whatever, <clears throat> now you're far more intimately connected with what process takes place for you to have that type of sustenance. You know, so you're, you're this thing in Bitcoin by all these convoluted different ways of how it's affected your thinking and your lifestyle and where you live and all this kind of stuff has brought you back, grounded you back in that process of, soil and water and sunlight and, and growth and, you know, and food. And so it, it just has this tendency to reconnect to the, as we've been saying this whole time, the fundamental aspect of things and an understanding of all the different levels that are involved. And that's a process of subjective valuation as well, you know, to, to, to be able to look at the land and go, oh, I can put a fruit tree there and grow fruit from it. And that's going to be a more valuable long-term prospect for for me than going down to Whole Foods every day and getting my fruit. And I think that that like perhaps the greatest key of what Bitcoin's transforming in us is that change in time preference and recognizing that through having a different form of time preference that the, the world augments and changes. Uh, I particularly find like that the, these changes in time preference really fascinating when Bitcoin's in a bear market, just because like, now I'm in a mode where like it's more about stacking stats and accrual because that same long term thinking is come. Well, I'm like same thing, like when we go into crazy bull markets, like I don't give a fuck about any. Like, I'm just like not terribly interested in <laughs> productive stuff just because like, you know, I know like I'm selling fruit or mushrooms or whatever business and then acquiring stats, you know, like sure, it'll all work out in the long run, but the, the bull the bull bear cycle, I think, is really important about teaching us about like the cadence of how these things work, because I think there's a sort of uh, mm. there's a blindness that we get from fiat world that we believe that there are these like static values that all have fiat numbers behind it. And like, that's just not true at all. There's always these business cycles that are happening because of the nature of the world and learning and understanding how those cycles function is extremely important um and i also think like that's kind of how you learn how markets work in general and blah 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 yeah well uh, i mean first of all do you realize you say stats and not sats oh you're right i do say stats and not sats <laughs> but it makes me think um <clears throat> this is something you know that i always well <clears throat> i i I confront it very intimately during my psychedelic uh, experiences, but it is this idea that everything is cyclical. Everything has a pattern. Everything has a rhythm, you know? And so the, the more you can come to observe, perceive, and then align and, and cooperate with those patterns rather than trying to, uh, <clears throat> you know, control them, I guess. Uh, I think the more, you know, this is again, this idea of like, the macrocosm is a microcosm and that like, you know, reality fits together on every different level by resonating in a similar, you know, pattern or rhythm with the one that's both directly above it and directly below it. And that's how it all just kind of fits together in a way and, and a, and a thread of truth runs through it all. 
you know, some, you know, whatever that truth may be. And um, yeah, and I think it's been very beneficial to me to refine that lens that helps to see the world through different patterns, whether it's like, you know, the natural world and growth cycles and stuff like that, whether it's your own, uh, you know, cycles of whether it's productivity or energy or strength or whatever, you know, the patterns of human uh, collective organization, political, sociocultural, uh, spiritual or re religious patterns, you know, cosmic, all that kind of stuff. I mean, we have such a linear view of things in, in the quote unquote modern world. And this goes back to what we were talking about, you know, progress at the very beginning of this series. And it, the truth seems to be that, you know, there may be an arc of an arrow of time that goes predominantly in one way, but even if that is the case, it seems like nestled within that are cyclical patterns of, of action or occurrence. Well, we seem to be going through the same cyclical pattern, you know, that the revolutionary wave went through, you know, and, and I think, I think all of the discussions going on are really important because like, I can't help but think in 1760, like this is what some of the similar conversations were about. Hey, our government's corrupt. They're taking too much money. They're taxing us too heavily. Like how, what are we going to do about this? Like, how could we organize differently? Like, oh, they, there's this new form of organization called democracy. Like maybe we can make like a Republican, you know? And I just think it, it it's really important and profound to, to realize that like in those cycles that like we're reconnecting to this revolutionary cycle that has this relationship about the return of truth into the public sphere you know and that's the exact same thing that martin luther did with him challenging you know the church that's what the 95 theses were about was about how indulgences were being used in such a corrupt way you know same thing with the printing press it got introduced because there was so much corruption that was going on by the the Bible being misinterpreted and read to people wrong. They're just like, Hey, maybe if I put it in your hands directly, you can understand it better. And so I don't think it's any wonder that as we're in these deep pursuits towards truth, that we're also finding ourselves connected back to, you know, these relationships that find themselves at the beginning of the revolutionary wave that always seem to be related to what does the truth mean in our particular world and how it inflects against that? Um, and, 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 yeah, you know, it, it's, it's very interesting because I think that relationship that connects us to their time, uh, yeah, is just something we need to consider more and how we want to move towards it. I think it also instills a sense of peace to a certain degree too. Because if you realize that things are cyclical and that it's almost unavoidable that, you know, revolutionary things happen, whether, you know, it's revolutionary in nature or revolutionary in, in terms of the sociopolitical realm and something new emerges and it brings us to another level, but it, it's subject like everything is to decay and to rot and to corruption, et cetera, et cetera. And it falls into disrepute and requires revivification once again and that's an unavoidable process and as a result of that like when you're in the time of revivification you know knowing that that's unavoidable and inevitable i think it can cause it can alleviate some of the anxiety stress frustration whatever that might come with 
the, the felt experience of the transitionary period, just to know that like, you might as well accept it because it's unavoidable rather than like, you know, being caught in mental loops of wishing that it weren't the case, something like that. This, that, that, that had me think about the idea of the security of the faith in these changes that are happening and the way that that alleviates a particular kind of anxiety. You know, like I think the way that I've secured my Bitcoin and no one understand it to be secured into the future has alleviated me of a very particular kind of anxiety that the fiat world absolutely mm. cannot provide. And I think that that's very important because there is a sort of um, fear and trembling that's like inherently embedded in fiat world that like can never, ever be extricated that does get answered directly through Bitcoin in the way that it gives you this kind of totality of assurance. I also have to go to the restroom real quick. Yeah. One of these days I'm going to pee my pants <laughs> on a podcast. <laughs> um, but that is what you just said about how those assurances are unavailable in any other, you know, in the fiat land. That's part of the liberation that Bitcoin grants, right? It's not just, you know, it's, it's a liberation from your own, like, you know, I guess it's somewhat tethered to concerns that extend beyond yourself, but something as simple as dialing down your own concern about the future and your own anxiety and your own, uh, the confidence that you have over your accumulated capital. I mean, that is a tremendous liberation. And what results from that is your mind is able to, within your mind is able to emerge, not those concerns and those worries and how that detracts from your experience of joy or day-to-day -day existence, but actually other things that, that can now amplify it. You know, that those, those concerns have been assuaged to a, a large degree. You can now focus on things that are far more productive, you know, and it's, it's just another example or manifestation of how this is a, a technology of liberation in so many different ways, you know, so and I, I, I think um, about what you said earlier about, uh, you know, like the, the Pfizer CEO, you know, he's got like a hundred million dollars in his bank account, but I'd point out is like, he, he's not free. Like he can't, he can't say what he wants to say. He can't be what he wants to be out in the world. And I think that's one of the things that exactly. is particularly interesting about Bitcoin is that, and I don't think we've really seen much of this happen yet, it is the ability for people to speak their truth to power in a way that fundamentally compromises the political establishment in a way that has them attack them and has it be clear that their wealth is also self-sovereign and can continue to help them despite the fact of being an enemy of the state. And I think we're going to see more and more of that come up and be produced, uh, particularly with like all this batshit Corona stuff that's been going on. And I feel like they already started trying to seize people's assets, maybe in Australia or something for not getting the jab. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. It's probably all inevitable, whether it's this thing or it's another thing in the future, but yeah, I mean, I, I agree. And, and I think that will happen naturally. Like, people will just one day realize when confronted with a situation whereby there's an apprehension about speaking what they believe to be true, they'll come to that internal calculation and they'll realize, why shouldn't I? Why can't I? I totally can. There's nothing you can do to me. There's nothing you, you know, you, you can't cut me off, take, take anything from me. So yeah, I'm going to let it rip. And, you know, 
that's the benefit of fuck you money is that it allows you to have, you know, a kind of a fuck you approach to life whereby you don't self-censor. Like you tell people what you believe to be true. And, you know, there's obviously many other aspects beyond the money that are currently censoring people like, you know, the major tech platforms and all that kind of stuff. But this is why there's such a push to develop things like podcasting 2.0 and value for value and stuff on lightning so that people can communicate and express and, and publish in a censorship resistant manner, you know? And so it's super early days still, obviously, but these, these things will allow people more and more just to say, fuck just to say, fuck you, right. Just to, to speak their truth. And I agree that's freedom. Not the guy who's, you know, got, uh, what are they called? Corporate handcuffs or whatever, whatever you call them. They, they can't say anything. They can't be themselves. They, they're worried about getting canceled. Like those people aren't free. I don't know. You know, why hold them up as, as, Anything other than, you know, people that accumulated a lot of fiat and, you know, actors and stuff like that. They're talented and they're hardworking. I don't mean to take anything away from them. But if you are afraid to speak your mind because you'll be canceled from the next movie or you won't get that promotion or whatever it is, I feel I have sympathy for you ultimately because that is that's not freedom. And again, this whole conversation we've been talking about the, how fundamental freedom is as a value and a principle and how it impacts you fundamentally and if you don't have it i have sympathy yeah i mean i i feel real sorry for you if i can put some dollar figure in front of you and then i get to shove my hand up your ass and operate you as a muppet you know like that's uh that's pretty sad that there's a lot of people that operate that way and i think it's going to be really powerful when people start speaking differently in addition to like uh it's really important that we're able to resist these you, you know, to, like, to be clear, we're entering into a really dangerous phase where people are accepting that censorship is something that we should have, despite the fact that they don't understand the consequences of that. And it's very clear that, yeah, like, like all the stuff going on with Joe Rogan right now, it's so funny to me that these people are like, <laughs> Joe Rogan spreading nasty disinformation, so I'm going to partner with Apple, who's well known to have never had any human rights abuses or said anything that hurt people. And it's just like, like what like what kind of clown world do you live in where like Apple is, is your ethical choice over Spotify? Like you guys really should kind of dig a little deeper into this shit. And I don't know, like it's just yeah. it's just really wild that we live in this world that that you know, I'm like, I don't think that this is something that existed in, you know, two thousand five. Whereas, uh, you know, somebody started speaking there. Well, and actually, that's not fair. It's, you know, poor Julian Assange. But, you know, just the right. the fact now that we can speak truth to power and they can't just destroy or censor us is going to become so much more important as this accelerates. Because, like, I'm very much of the opinion, like, this has all been pretty fun and soft up until now. And, like, I think when we're seeing, you know, 15% inflation week over week, uh, that that's where stuff is going to start to get really scary. And that's where when we say, hey, get your money out of the banks and buy Bitcoin, I think they're also going to want to say, shut these people the fuck up, get them off of Twitter, get them off of Spotify, get them off of every single platform that's possible. And I think that's also when they're going to discover, oh, shit, like we can't we can't stop this Bitcoin thing from saying what it's saying. You know, and and again, this is where stuff's going to get more powerful and more dramatic because now we have a platform. We're going to be speaking out. They'll attack it. You know, 
Um, uh, you know, like I, I, I really hope they're going to let you, me and Hoddle and Robert all kind of like share prison cells in the gulag and that we'll get to, you know, like have, have fun reflecting on it. <laughs> and it'll be great to know that like our information's out there embedded on the time chain in such a way that people can access it too, you know? Um, hopefully none of that comes to fruition, but it's, it's, it's really important and it's really powerful. Yeah, and I, uh, I, hope, I hope so too. My, my last point, you, is, uh, yeah, I just, you uh, always, Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry, we have a crazy lag going on. Yeah, fucking lag. I was just going to say, you know, like, uh, again, having this whole conversation with you and just getting to come back to, like, what a privilege. You know, what what, what a privilege to be here. What a mm-hmm. privilege to see this. What a privilege to share. Uh, and even more so, like, what a privilege the kind of feedback that we get from people and how it's affecting and influencing them. You know, like, uh, I, I think I said to you in Miami, like it's, uh, it feels really wonderful to like have all these people come up to you and kind of, kind of simp at us of, you know, kind of ogling at like, Oh, well you guys are so, and you made the point of like, you know, like this is totally different from like that of a celebrity or something, because these people are really talking about like, Hey, you changed my perspective perspective on this in a really powerful and important way. And, thank you for helping give that to me, you know? And I, I, uh, I very much think that this is a, a powerful and profound spiritual pursuit that as we get farther and deeper into life, we'll realize that, you know, that this was God's chosen, chosen path for us. And by us doing what we're doing here, you know, we'll, we'll find a deeper and closer relationship to a God that gives us a more meaningful and spiritual life, you know, which, for me is something I never foresaw or believed I needed. Uh, and thank God, you know, like it, it, it's given me the self-respect and love that I needed in order to extricate myself, not only from fiat world, but from these very dark mindsets that, uh, you know, I, I ultimately think would have ended up at suicide if it, I hadn't been able to address them in a meaningful way. Yeah, I, I agree. And <clears throat> From my perspective on on that, like I never, I'd always been super curious about, you know, the mysteries of life, you know, and so I pursued them in the jungles of the Amazon and the peaks of Peru and wherever the fuck else, you know, like I was looking for answers, but I never, I guess subconsciously I probably did, otherwise I wouldn't be pursuing them. And curiosity was just kind of the veil, but I didn't realize that the answers that you find in those places and how they influence your action can fill you up with something different to such a degree, you know, that it can, as you just saying, like we, we finished off the last one talking about, you know, the, the all conquering power of love, but like it can push out the aspects of yourself that are either untrue or are not serving you or that are dark or that are fear-based or, or whatever. Right. It, it, it like it crowd, the more of it you get, the more it crowds those things out. And it, and it, this is the thing we've been trying to discuss this whole conversation is like, what is that feeling of meaning that fills you up and that constitutes value and that constitutes wealth, both when experienced as an individual and when shared with others and what, what outcomes and what gets produced as a result of that uh, sharing of that type of wealth. And I don't know, I guess we've done as good of a treatment as we can on it, you know, today, uh, trying to discover it. But as you said, you know, like 30 minutes ago, it seems like love is a good word to describe that. 
And of course, again, we, we come to the, we've said this before, but you know, it's it, God, truth, love, these, these concepts are always, if not synonyms, they're very closely bound up with one another. And I guess part of the journey for me has been discovering and understanding ex- and feeling exactly why that is, or maybe not exactly, but understanding to a degree, to an increasing degree, hopefully why that is. And yeah, I mean, there doesn't seem to be much more worthwhile in terms of a pursuit. Yeah. And for me, you know, like I, I never expected myself to be someone that spoke to God or felt close to God or had spiritual fulfillment. Uh, it wasn't on my radar at all. Uh, you know, I was a pretty strong agnostic, uh, if not atheist before much of this, um, you know, and, and it, it's, it's truly wonderful, you know, and I, I really hope that uh, other people, particularly the people that, you know, are like, fuck God, like he sucks. I hate him for them to stop and just go, look, like we're not talking about organized religion and we're not we're not we're not talking about your mom and dad's God. We're talking about something different. And if you can step back enough to maybe, you know, consider the synonyms of God, truth, love, honor, the, these things, maybe there's enough space in there for you to consider that there is something transcendental and profound here that is far past the material means that we're speaking about. And perhaps through the pursuit of it as well, you'll learn more about yourself in a much more meaningful way. And, uh, you know, again, like this has produced a form of identity around myself that I never expected to find. And I think there are aspects of it that perhaps maybe I wouldn't have uh, respected or enjoyed before because I didn't understand them. And now I feel, uh, you know, like I, I feel solid in being able to go, you know, tell people, look, like maybe there is a God that loves you so profoundly that he wants you to discover that for yourself and for you to come to the understanding that in this nihilistic world that seems to be crushed out of all meaning, maybe he loves you enough that he wants you to discover this thing on your own. And to see that this is all a gigantic secret that through your own pursuit of the truth, you unveil meaning in a meaningful way. Because the truth of it is, is that, you know, the power of that is for the seekers to discover. It's not, it's not just lying there waiting for anybody to go, oh, hey, look, look, good reason in God and truth and justice. No, like it has to be a real purposeful individual pursuit trying to determine is this actually real or is it some bullshit that I made up? And I think the pursuit of that is a deep and meaningful thing that you and I have both pursued on our own in our own ways. And I think, you know, we've came to relatively similar conclusions because of the, the actual truth and permanence that is here. Oh!